North South Connection. This is Mike Rossi. I'm joined here by Andrew Reich. And we are going to run down the NCAA tournament now that the brackets have been out and have been thrown out in front of us. We both got a chance to look at them tonight and kind of, you know, we've been talking over the last couple weeks about how, you know, things have been going, kind of lead up to this point. And it's all leading to this when we're going to just run through the tournament. We're going to give you guys our thoughts on it and, you know, see where we can go and see if we can get ourselves a champion out of this. So how are you doing tonight, Andrew? Good. The madness is here. We They talk about it and talk about it. And now... It's actually rolling into different regions. We're not stuck in a bubble in Indianapolis, thank God. I know, and the fans alone. And I'm not alone. saying Indianapolis sucks. It's yeah. a really nice basketball location for venues and stuff. It's just nice to be able to do it in a normal setting again. For sure, and we haven't had the, the feeling of the crowd for an NCAA tournament now it's for like two years. Yeah. yeah, so so actually, yeah, really three years when you think about it. Yeah, so really excited to see what, you know, how the atmosphere is going to be. I know, like, Looking at the conference tournaments this past week, the energy was off the charts. Um, Big East, MSG was nuts. Um, Big 12 and Indy, they were nuts. Big 10, I'm sorry, and Indy, they were nuts. ACC Um, and Brooklyn, I know people kind of hem and haw about why is ACC and Brooklyn. That's more of the mid-Atlantic. But when Virginia Tech got the started running it up on Duke, you could feel like the Duke hate in the crowd. Oh, for sure. For sure. I was watching that on Saturday night. And it was really an exciting week of conference conference attorneys. A lot of the top seeds lost. Um, Got a little couple stolen bids, which we'll talk about here in a bit. Um, Wasn't maybe as crazy as as you might imagine, but it was as definitely was an exciting week from, you know, good competitive games to finish off the tournaments. Like, absolutely. Even even Texas A&M almost stealing the bid, which will, like you said, we'll 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 get into is. Like, that was a decent game until Tennessee ran away with it. Kansas and Texas Tech, I thought, had a nice game. The oh, yeah. That I liked the most, and, you know, we can get off of the conference tournaments. I thought UCLA-Arizona was a great game. Yeah, that might have been the game of the weekend as far as, like, just two teams that you know are going to probably go in deep tourney runs, yeah. um, trying to flex their muscle with each other, you know, knowing that they're really the Villanova and UConn. They were like yeah, Villanova at each other. That was a war. I mean, that was a different style game than they played in the regular season. I mean, I'm a big UConn guy, so I'll try to keep my bias out of this. But um, and then you're an LSU fan, right? I am. And we're okay. going to the tournament without a coach. <laughs> yeah, well, there you go. So you got a six seed and I got a five seed. So we're pretty much we're pretty close here. Um, so, yeah. So how long you been into college hoops? Has it been kind of like a lifelong thing? Have you always been an LSU fan? Tell me a little bit about that. Um, I was always a fan of LSU. I also like a side fan of Kentucky in the SEC. So you always kind of like not necessarily root for them, but look up to them because they're always in the running. They're always vying for national titles from like all the way back to when they had Rick Pitino and then Tubby Smith. Uh, and then LSU's just had great history, which is great individual players. Uh, you know, Shaquille O'Neal, when I was growing up, um, was the man. Uh, Chris Jackson, even before that. And then, I mean, even later on, they had other guys. So I always followed the SEC pretty closely. And then when I got out of college, I really started to obsess with college basketball. I always say the NBA because I do a show with Adam Murray uh, about the NBA team. And I always say the NBA is my first love and uh, and college basketball is my second love. So it's just something that I've always kind of like tinkered with and 
obs- not obsessed over, but research very deeply to try to understand it better. And the thing that's fun about March Madness, and I don't know, is necessarily because they've opened up a lot of the a lot of the sports betting lines and 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 legalized a lot of it across the uh, uh, across the country. But th- it feels like there is this general nat- national like week or month long obsession with college basketball, where people really really get into it. M- maybe for wagers, but mostly because they just love the unpredictability of the tournament, which is what I love the most about it. Oh, for sure. And there's there's totally people that, that don't watch college basketball all year that they tune in in March and they might get a little bit of a primer for a week or two, but a lot of them are really And they do the best in your office pool. <laughs> exactly. That's the thing is that they might pick by the mascot or whatever, but or the teams that they've had a historic, you know, strong history. But then there's us that are breaking down the Ken Palm and, and everything, and, and they'll be the ones that beat us in the office pool. So that that's kind of the fun part is it brings people out of the woodwork. Um, so a little bit of my history with basketball. I'm a big UConn Husky fan. Um, I'm in Massachusetts, um, but I'm about an hour from – Hartford. So I actually have season tickets now. This is my first full year doing it. I just have them at the XL Center. I don't have the campus games. But that kind of reinvigorated me with watching more college hoops. Um, I was always a big UConn fan. I, I you know, kept an eye on the Big East or the, you know, the American for that shitstorm of the years that we were there. Um, oh, the one year they won the national title. <laughs> <laughs> yep, exactly. So it's it's fun to actually be back, you know, watching the games at MSG this week where we're crazy because that was our first you know, time back in that Big East conference with fans um, or the tournament, I should say. So it's been fun being back in there and, you know, really feeling that that energy in that in that arena that I go to, you know, eight, nine times a year now. So um, it, it's nice to see, you know, schools like Providence that, you know, us at UConn always say they're our little brothers, but we've 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 kind of um, heated up that rivalry this year with a lot of smack talk. So it's been fun watching the, the league grow and, and it's kind of built up my excitement for, you know, the tournament and I found like I watched a lot more hoops this year. So I'm ripping and raring to go with you today. I know I'm excited. And to piggyback on that and just to kind of, we can dive into the, the different teams of regions is like the thing that's great about college basketball versus college football is that the SEC has really like marginalized college football to the point that if they're not in the national championship game, something went wrong, you know, and it's not even set up that way where, you know, they have a 14 playoff. It's really hard to have chaos. Whereas in college basketball, not only is there a certainty of chaos because there's 68 teams in it used to be 64 till a decade ago, but you also have the sense like you're talking about a lot of these teams in the Northeast, like UConn, you know, even back in the older Big East uh, with a lot of those teams that were previously there and had their glory days. And there's other regions also in like the ACC country, SEC with, you know, they had a really good year in their, in that conference. And then in the West Coast, especially this year, we'll talk about every region feels like they have this like territory called like this is ours. Like you, we like, it doesn't feel like one region of the country is just completely out of the loop in basket in college basketball, if that makes sense. Yeah, it really has picked up. And, and what's really you know interesting is like the different styles that you see in yeah. the different regions. Like, I mean, Villanova won a game against Creighton in the big East final. It was 58, 54, 48. It was every bit. It was even uglier than that score sounds. Um, but as you're watching it, you're still seeing the team's the team strengths as they're going through it. It's, it's kind of a wild thing. Um, and within and the, the conference itself, look at the ACC yeah. with Virginia. Tony Bennett gets there. Oh, that's not going to work. 
He wins yeah. a national title. Yeah, it's insane. And then like, but then you look at like a, a style like Virginia, you know, that can sh- get them to a title game that can get them lo- losing to a 16 seed. It's, it's crazy how, you know, people adapt their styles to their region. And sometimes you have the anomalies like your Virginia's that try something drastically different where everybody else likes to run. And it's, it's, that's why college basketball is great. Cause you're right. You know, we, we start college football. You really probably have like 10 teams that you think have a real shot at winning the thing. Um, yeah. Sometimes you'll get an anomaly, but here, you know, there's probably 50 teams that really think they got a shot going into a college basketball year. And sometimes that plays out, you know, once we start thinking, I have some history I'll run through here in a little bit, but once we start looking at that, it's really not there. The history makes you think that, but every, the, the, like the Ken Palm rankings and the end of year rankings, a lot of times still do mean something when it's all said and done and they're kind of it nuts. Um, but so, so kind of parlaying into this tournament now. So, over this last week, we're talking about the college, you know, the, the conference tournaments and everything along those lines. Who would you say were the the teams that stole bids this week? Um, well, the two biggest ones, and one was kind of on a minor level because the team that they beat would have had to do it as an at-large and uh, had a very small chance of it was in, the, was in Conference USA with North Texas. Um, if North Texas had not lost their last conference game to, I don't even remember who it was. It was a lesser than Cusa opponent. If they hadn't lost that game and then they lost to UAB or uh, to Louisiana Tech in that ugly, ugly game where I think neither team got 50 points, um, I think they would have made it as an at-large or they would have had a, at least a shot. But because they had that one bad, I guess they call it quad four or quad three, I, I'm not good with that quad stuff <laughs> but um i think that was the biggest one when uab beat uh or uab wound up uh winning the kusa and then richmond straight up just winning the a10 tournament against davidson who was going to make it anyways and that yeah. regardless yeah and and that was the the a10 tournament was kind of wild i found myself rooting for umass against dayton in the, in the uh, quarterfinal um just as kind of the local flair um, but yeah, no, that, that eight ten tourney was kind of, kind of interesting. Um, and now in flipping the, the way around that, um, who do you think has, was, was actually snubbed by, well, I know I'm a little bit ahead on this, but I think it makes sense. But with the, with, with talking about who stole bids, who do you think has been snubbed along the way? Well, obviously when the bid is stolen, meaning like a team that wasn't going to make it regardless gets the automatic tournament win bid for the turn for the NCAA tournament, someone's going to get pushed because you have to move certain people out of the pool. You know, the problem though, Mike, is that now that it's 68 and there's so much parity and there's so many like power conference at larges that get like second, third, fourth, fifth chances that it, like it's really hard to like justify snubs or saying oh man this team got screwed. I remember though like when I was in college I remember seeing certain teams like I I vividly remember this one team where in Colorado that had Alec Burks and Andre Robertson they didn't make it and I was stunned. But that was like a decade ago. Like now it's hard. The only one I could have tried to make a case for being an SEC dude, Texas A&M getting the finals of the conference tournament and having over 20 wins. I think they had a shot. But um they got blown up by Tennessee, and I guess that was what swung it at the end. For sure. And, like, there's, like, look at a team like Michigan. Uh, Michigan finished the year 17-14. and 14. They were 11-9 in conference. Um, they really didn't do anything the entire year that really excited you, but they played a tough schedule. So that kind of won their way through the committee a little bit. Um, now you look at a 17, 14 record. It's really tough to look at, look That's at them. That's a crappy but, record. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but what I was really surprised at with them was the fact that they were 
they got the 11 seed. They didn't have to worry about a playing game mm-hmm. where, you know, you've got some teams doing this playing like in Indiana that, you know, kind of stole Michigan's lunch in the last couple of weeks as far as like where they were in that Big Ten. Their um, game against Iowa was one of the best. They also beat Purdue, I want to say, in the in regular season play. Yeah, and Rutgers. I mean, Rutgers had was 18 and 13. They were 12 and 8 in conference. Um, they played Michigan. Um, what is what was it? They played them twice. They split with them. So it was really tough to you know see a team like Rutgers that felt like beat everybody in February in the playing game when you know Michigan is not. But hey, it's all about about you know what might the team might, might help with TV and what might help with regions and. And the way that the tournament's laid out now is so different than it used to be. Um, but yeah. Michigan, what's crazy about Michigan is my first impression on the bracket was the fact that Michigan's playing a Colorado State team in Indianapolis. And as, that's as an 11 seed. So not only is that Michigan team kind of overseeded, if they even deserve to be in the tournament at all, but they, they basically have a home game by comparison to playing a six seed. So First impression on the bracket, that's something that really jumped off the page to me. What what jumped off for you? Um for the for the bracket on uh, which on which region you're looking at? Just overall. So Just if you're overall. looking yeah, if you're looking at when you first saw the bracket, what caught your eye? Was there anything that was like, you know, um, shocking, game you were most excited to see, things oh, okay. along those lines. Okay. So there was two things that I saw immediately. Number one, and I know this seems like being like, oh, you're talking about Duke again. But, I mean, the first thing I thought of is Duke is in Gonzaga's bracket. That was the first thing I thought of when I saw it. Like, okay, they did play each other earlier, and Duke did beat them. Paolo Mancaro probably had had a really good game on that one. But um, I was kind of interested to see if they have a rematch, if it does wind up being 1-2. And the other one is that there was just a lot of, and to kind of piggyback what you're saying about Michigan, that a lot of respect was given to the Big Ten because every bubble team in the Big Ten made it. Yes. I mean, I think they got nine teams in when all was said and done. Yes, and they were um, all, they were all on the cut line, like Indiana, yeah. Rutgers, Michigan. Um, there was a there was another Big Ten team that seemed to kind of be slipping a little bit, but they 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 caught themselves at just the right time and and uh, they didn't wind up getting bounced. But yeah, they um. Nine teams is great. That's a great It's insane. Year. And that yeah. conference was, I mean, talk about a gauntlet. I mean, you look at their their end of season records, it was like, you know, middle hard. of the pack, pretty much across. They were just, they beat each other up. It, it was, I mean, the Big Ten's become kind of that, that type of conference every year. But to get the depth with it that you have now and getting it from schools like Rutgers and it's it's crazy. You know, Rutgers able, is still able to recruit and put a team from New Jersey in the Big Ten and compete. But Syracuse can't do the same thing going down to the ACC. It's kind of crazy how things work out sometimes. Um, Now, to kind of piggyback off your Duke thing, my first impression was the fact that Tennessee got the three and Duke got the two. Um, I thought that the way that they looked this week in particular kind of should have pushed Tennessee into that two line. But it's not egregious because I think a lot of being the two with Duke is, is playing on their potential. And they mean they've got a team with probably three or four NBA players on it. So Mm -hmm. you're – and plus it's Duke, you know, Duke, I kind of feel always gets a little bit extra love from the committee, but that team struggled down the stretch. And, and that was not a team that, and not a conference that you really feel good about somebody struggling in. Yeah. And just, and to talk about the rankings in general, cause I do think top 25 AP rankings, which people roll their eyes at cause they feel like the writers like make their choices and they never get off of it when they like a team. I do think it, it does serve some importance when it comes to, uh, to bracketology, 
like of where they're going to wind up. But when it, I do feel like there's this very good, un, there's a there's a well balanced understanding of like where Duke is, where Kansas is, where even North Carolina is, and where Gonzaga is now, and where uh, even Baylor, who won the national title last year, and there are and they're still really really good, obviously as a one seed. Like I feel like there's a good balance, Mike of that some people understand like Duke's Duke's still really good. Kentucky is really good, but are they by far the best just because they have a really good team at that pow- at that big historic program? No, there's no guarantees given to you just because you're Duke. Sure. And, and the other thing too, is, you know, that fourth one seed, which was Baylor, it seemed like nobody wanted that Kentucky, mm-hmm. Kentucky lost yesterday. If they won, they could have very easily been in that spot. Auburn's somewhat late collapse kind of took them out of the contention with that. Um, Duke, you know, Duke w- runs through that tournament. Maybe they steal the four, uh, the fourth one. Um, it just kind of seemed like that fourth one was the was the spot that nobody really wanted. Um, they kept defaulting back down to that two line when they were given the spot to steal it. Um, it's just interesting how, you know, the, the evolution of the year. And I try to stay away from like bracket talk until we start getting closer to March. Uh, because, you know, things change so drastically. But it was fun watching the evolution of those one seeds. You know, Gonzaga was kind of there the entire year. But watching, you know, the Big 12 jockey for for which one's going to get one. And, you know, Auburn held a spot strong for the you know, 85% of the year before losing it. Um, it, yep. it was fun watching, you know, those top lines fall into place. And, and I think we have a year that, you know, we're going to talk about some five seeds with, with the same sort of, sort of you know, luster and appeal that we're going to talk about some of those one and two seeds. So right. it's, it's a super deep bracket this year. I'm excited to run through, you know, each region with you here um, and just kind of figure out, you know, if we can fight through this and figure out who we think is going to win this thing. <laughs> no, it'll be fun. I do think there's depth there. I don't feel like we, they always talk about who got the easiest road, who got the toughest road. I'm going to be honest. I don't think any of those ones. He's got an easy road. I think no. every single one's got um, uh, landmines, all of them. They do. And I mean, eight, nine is not a fun opponent. I mean, a lot no. of those eight, nine teams are, are you know, they're going to be on the fringe of teams that might have missed the tournament if they had a bad week at some so point. So they're so they're ready to go. Right. Exactly. So they fought to get to this point. I mean, you know, Gonzaga, we'll get into it. Gonzaga might see a Memphis team in the second round um, that, you know, has probably as many NBA prospects as Gonzaga does. Um, just we'll run through a little bit more in depth there, but there, there's so many eight, nine seeds are always the ones you keep an eye on. And it's almost like when the ones get over that eight, nine um, hurdle sometimes that they kind of really catch their speed in the second weekend. Um, but that eight, nine scary, man, it can definitely be scary. All the pressures on the one. Um, so now before we get into the 64, we have to play four playing games. So now we've got to sit, we'll run through the 16 seeds first. Because obviously the 16 seeds pr- are pretty much deciding who's going to be left to slaughter. Um, over yep. in the south, you've got Wright State and Bryant. Now, one thing that popped out to me with Bryant and looking at, at their Ken Palm, they were seventh in the country in tempo. Very fast. And yeah. if you look at, like, you know, Wright, Wright State was 97. All of their others, like, you know, 180, they were 182 and 183 in Ken Palm, which is interesting. Both of their offenses were in the low hundreds. And then their defenses are in the 200. So, and then, you know, the, the ever important luck rating, they're all in the 300s. <laughs> but talking about the tempo, that's where this game really has the anomaly of, of you know, the differential between these two teams. 
And, you know, everybody's, everybody's talking about Bryant because of that fight in the stands last week. Um, but I, I think in this situation, Bryant, if they can control that tempo, they should see them their ways to, to face in Arizona. What do you think? Yeah, I, I'd say I'd say Bryant. They have the nation's leading scorer, Peter Kiss. So he's going to go off. Now, is there a situation where maybe Wright State plays really good defense and Peter Kiss has a crappy game and that's that does it for Bryant? Yeah, that can definitely happen. That's why they're in the playman. But, exactly. But yeah, I'll I'll just. I'll just go with Brian. The truth is like when they do play-ins, even those 11 and 12s, because UCLA was one last year in Indianapolis is they don't necessarily, uh, when you do your brackets uh, for ESPN and Yahoo or DraftKings or whatnot, they don't penalize you. Like they let you basically say the winner of that one will go on and win the next round and the next round. Like they don't make you choose usually. Yeah, and it's crazy. It seems like in those 11, 12 ones, there's always one team that finds a way to the One always wins. <laughs> I think one it was year Syracuse. it didn't happen. Yeah. I think Syracuse, was it last year? Um, they, they shouldn't have even been in that spot. And the next thing you know, they were the Sweet 16. Right. Um, it, it's crazy how that seems to happen. Um, and then the other 16 game is uh, Texas Southern and Texas A&M Corpus Christi. Uh, Texas Southern's 188 in Ken Palm. A&M is Corpus Christi's 243. Tempo's pretty similar there um the only thing that really jumps off the page here it seems like texas southern has a much better defense um i'll go yeah. texas southern by default i think corpus Christi's the worst team in the 68 so we'll yeah. get I, i'm gonna put the Texas Southland, Southern out. the southland is corpus christie's and they beat slu which is where my wife went so fuck them I'll, I'll just say yeah <laughs> there you go and then rolling over to the 11s i think we've got two pretty good games here um, we'll start off with uh, what I think is the least exciting of the two, um, Rutgers and Notre Dame. Um, talking about these two teams in the Ken Palm, Rutgers was 71, Notre Dame was 52. Um, they Notre Dame had a, a pretty good offense uh, efficiency, um, but where Rutgers had a good defensive efficiency. Um, tempo were both low 200, so they both play slow. Um, what do you like here? Um I actually like Rutgers because they had the experience from last year. I know they had some turnover, but they still have, you know, Geo Baker and Ron Harper Jr. They also have Caleb McConnell, who um, I don't know if he's related to TJ. I need to research that. But um, he's um, he was the defensive player of the year in the Big Ten. So my guess is they're going to put him on Notre Dame's best guard, which is Blake Wesley. And uh, I just got a weird feeling that um, Rutgers is going to pull that one out. Uh because they do have that experience. They also are used to having rock fights. I remember their game against Clemson last year was one of the most boring games I've ever seen, but Rutgers came out with the, with the W. So I'll just go, I'll just go with the, um, I'll just go with Rutgers. Yeah. And Rutgers is, I agree. Rutgers is so much more battle tested than Notre Dame is. Um, Notre Dame obviously played your Dukes and, and your um, uh, Virginia Techs, but that's nowhere near what Rutgers played. Uh, so yeah. Rutgers, Rutgers played like, they, they have like six wins over top 15 teams at some point. So they're way more battle tested. I have Rutgers going on there. Um, and then in the game, which I think is a damn good game, is Wyoming and Indiana. Um, Wyoming's 58 in the Ken Palm. Indiana's 36. But Indiana is one of the harder teams coming off their conference tournament. Um, both play kind of slow. Um, but the offensive efficiency leans Wyoming. The defensive efficiency leans Indiana. Um, what do you think here? 
Um, for this one, I'd probably go with Indiana uh, because I don't know if Wyoming – Wyoming's got some good players. I love – I know he had an injury. I don't know how the extent of the injury, but Hunter Maldonado is a good guard, and uh, he was one of their best – the best players in Mountain West. But Trace Jackson Davis is really tough matchup. Like, he was right there with Kofi Coburn and Zach Eady and EJ Liddell and all those monsters in the Big Ten as one of the best big guys efficiency wise and um the only thing that's a big issue with indiana is that they just have to be able to like spark up the offense their defense is there they've got the defense um my issue with wyoming is that even though their numbers are solid their ken palm is solid i don't know if they were a team that really scares me in the tournament i might eat my words but i'll just say indiana wins that yeah and i mean what what's what i find really interesting about this game is the winner's going to go on and play St. Mary's. Um, we don't really know what we're going to get out of these WCC schools. Um, we know Gonzaga. We know St. Mary's is tough. I feel like St. Mary's is a team that is always known as, like, the team that plays Gonzaga twice a year. Um, mm-hmm. And they kind of get a little bit more respect than they deserve. I mean, looking at their numbers there, they had a good season. Um, but their tempo is so off. Any of these teams that beat that win this game, I think, can – Kind of have their the, way with St. When Mary's they lose in the first round, which is normally what happens with St. Mary's, they, the game is always like a, a struggle. Like, w- even if they lose, it's a close one. So they love to slow it down, St. Mary's does. That's why I think they do okay against Gonzaga every, every now and then is because they just know how to slow them down. Because Gonzaga always wants to speed it up. Yeah. So, yeah. And they play each other. They know each other. And the coaches know each other well. The, I mean, whenever you play a team twice, it's – it's a different game for Gonzaga playing them than if they're playing like a Duke or something like that, you know? Yeah, it's just if, a different if the field. over under for if it's Indiana St. Mary's and the over under for total score is let's say a hundred. Under. Way under. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'll just go under. Now of these these so if we think Rutgers and in Indiana, do we think that um either of those teams could have a sweet sixteen run or possibly deeper? Uh for me I would say uh it would probably actually be Rutgers because, you know, I'm looking at who they would wind up facing. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I, I could see it there. I could, I, I would feel better about Rutgers and Indiana on their side. Yeah, uh, but not by very much. Like they, I think they're both a little bit doomed once they get if they get to round two. Yeah, for sure. So now let's roll into the east then so looking at this east bracket you know we've got baylor as the one we've got kentucky as the two and then we work our way down from there um what was your first impression looking at this bracket baylor's in trouble because they you know they you always look for okay who's the ones that could really like who's the one seed who's the two seed who are the ones that can trip them up for baylor there's quite a few i can see the winner north carolina marquette tripping them up and the reason why and i'm not trying to like say that baylor is like this paper champion or anything lj crier has not played for a month and that was their top scoring guard so if he's and jay and uh jonathan uh chachua he's out he tore his acl so now your defense which, and your offense which is really really good and it has been good at ken palm all year like in the top 10 all year it's going to suffer if crier if they're pulling like an orenzi on Oahu and it's like uh it's basically oh we don't know if he's gonna play maybe he'll play maybe he won't because they don't want their seed to get hurt but then once you get to the tournament they're like oh yeah he's not gonna play yeah <laughs> so yeah so we're gonna find out a lot more um in the next few days but if crier does let me just put it this way if lj crier sits I don't see Baylor getting far. Like they need him in order to really get to that final four, like like getting into that territory. 
Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I really like that North Carolina Marquette matchup. Marquette had kind of stifled down the stretch a little bit. Um, you know, Creighton kind of ran away from them in the in the tourney. Um, but North Carolina kind of got hot at the end as well. I mean, Virginia Tech was kind of just a buzzsaw elite. I, I felt the Duke win and Cameron was their Super Bowl. Yeah, and for sure. they're going to treat it like that and it's over now. Yeah, which that's the other thing is is I don't really see Baylor having issues there, but I see them having issues in the, you know, in the 16 once, you know, UC, I'm sorry. Um, yeah, in the 16, once a UCLA comes calling, um, UCLA to me is the one of the toughest four seeds I ever remember. Um, and talking about UCLA, I mean, actually, this entire bracket, um, the top six, they're all top six seed in Ken Palm in this bracket. And Baylor's ninth in offense, uh, Kentucky's fourth, Purdue's third. So there's going to be some scoring in this, uh, but there's also some good defense as well. Murray uh, State was 30 and two. There's, yeah. and a seven seed is great for a mid-major. Don't get me yeah. wrong. They were seated correctly. But damn, like that, that team is not going to be an easy out for Kentucky if they get them. And that's the thing. Murray State's got – that's another thing that jumped off. Murray State's got San Francisco. Now, San Francisco was 21st in Ken Palm as a 10 seed. In the WCC, so, right? Yeah. That's a really good kind of like mid-major type game. Um, and then the winner of that's going to be feeling really good about themselves rolling into a Kentucky game. Um, wouldn't shock me to see Kentucky get knocked off. I mean, Kentucky's solid. I mean, they they have they have a monster in the middle that's going to be tough for any of those mid majors to mess with. Uh, but you know, you never know in the tournament, man. That Murray State thirty and two. There's something to be said about a team that's won that many. I games. remember when Kentucky a couple years ago played Wofford, and the only reason that Kentucky won is because Wofford's best player just could not make a shot. Yeah, you know, and if they, if he, if if I forget uh, Fletcher McGee, if he made just a few shots, they're beating Kentucky in that second round. So yeah, yeah it could happen. Yeah, and I mean, then moving up from above that, you know, Virginia Tech's one of the hottest teams in the country. They've got a Texas team that was 15th in Ken Palm with a 13 in defense, but their tempo was so so bad. Um, them and Vod Tech, if they see themselves in the second round, both in the 340s. That's another game you might think about taking the under. Uh, but yes. there are two teams that – though that would be the first one. I'm sorry. They're, then the winner of that's probably going to see Purdue or Yale, probably Purdue. Um, Purdue is a team that, you know, in November, December, they look like the best team in the country. Uh, but as the year went on, I don't know if teams just learned how to play in, but what jumps off the page and looking at them is they've got the defensive efficiency at 100 so which for those who don't know is really really bad yeah that's bad i mean when you're looking at the teams around them ucla is 12 st mary's is nine kentucky's 27 baylor's 14 that's really and looking at the at the numbers and the and the statistics here that's the number that's really glaring and it kind of opens up to me that if a team like vitech is playing them with their slower pace it might not matter as much um it's all going to be and if they can stop you know Purdue's offense which is three don't get me wrong um, but the bottom of that bracket, I mean, Kentucky looks like the best team, but there's really four or five teams at the bottom there that if I see them in the elite, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. Purdue was the funnest team to watch, like aesthetically, like when I watched their games, like they were the kind of team that like, man, I wish that all college teams played that way. The other one is Arizona, but which we'll talk about later. But, um, Jay Nivey's a stud. Uh, there's Travion Williams is a six man. He started since he got there, but Edie was a better, like they like to start Edie. They, they felt more comfortable with them. Then they bring in Williams and he's just fucking making passes all over the place and making shots and being super efficient. So it, it sort of bridges their minutes. 
Um, but their defense is bad, like you said, and Ivy is not a real point guard. And the point guard they do have isn't really very good either. You know, they really need Stefanovic and Ivy to shoot well from the outside in order to do it. And if they go cold, then they're in a lot of trouble um, because their defense isn't good enough to hold them back. So, yeah, you know, it depends on really it really depends on. Ivy and how well he can shoot the ball because Williams and Edie are going to shoot a high percentage. They're big guys who know how to get baskets, but it really just comes down to whether or not that backcourt just doesn't. And, and you know, guard plays huge in the tournament. I think it's the most oh, massive thing. That's how Baylor won the national title. Guard play. Yeah. You know? Oh yeah. Guard play. I mean, being a UConn fan, trust me, I can, I can, I can talk about <laughs> guard play. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it's Purdue's a team that I just, I want to like them, but I struggle to because the defense isn't there, but they can outscore you at any point. So Correct. Um, it's it, that, that's a really it's a brutal bracket for me. Now, what players in this bracket do you especially have an eye on uh, in this one? Uh, I, I mentioned Trace Jackson Davis. Uh, you you hit one on the head with Marquette. Justin Lewis is a really good player. Uh, and, uh, I did mention Travion Williams. So those are the three that I really keep an eye on UCLA. Like you said, they've got three players who are really good, but I don't really want to try to like overpopulate which teams to watch. UCLA is just good period. Like my thing with you. Yeah. yeah. My thing with UCLA is they go, in my opinion, where Juzang takes them, um, because he's such an X factor. You know, you're going to get your offense out of your bigs. You know you're going to get your offense out of a Tiger, and he's going to distribute. But when Juzang comes in and he's shooting two for 15, they're not going to win games. He's just too important to that offense. And he turned it on in the tourney last year, and he kind of was the name to watch as that tourney went on. Um, there, he's, he struggled with injuries this year. UCLA has had a lot of COVID issues. Um, in mm-hmm. December, they, like, barely played, and then they had games stacked on top of each other. So that had a lot to do with, you know, a couple of their losses. Yeah, Hawk has had it, issues with his ankles. But it, I don't know if you've watched the stat, the splits, but Hawk has been destroying people later in the season. So yeah. it's back in their groove. UCLA is so fun to watch. Um, I mean, I, I had so much fun watching them in the tourney last year, and I found myself watching them late night a lot this year. But it's, I really think it's, it's weird because they're the Pac-12 and they're a throwback. Exactly, because like, exactly. it's a big Cronin coach team. Yeah, <laughs> so you're like okay, it's going to be a rock fight, but man, they know how to play. Like yeah, you know? yeah, and I mean, if Juzang can come in, give you his his eighteen to twenty a game, they instantly become one of the toughest teams in this tournament to beat. Um, and you know, we look we look at the rest of this bracket. If he's on and that team's you know, scoring at all at all levels, then they're going to really be a really tough out. Um, now, what teams here on the kind of the bottom end of this bracket do you see that they could get the slipper to fit to go on a Cinderella run? Um, you you already circled it, but I'll just circle it too. Uh, Virginia Tech, because when you're playing really good defense like that and you have experience like uh, like Storm Murphy, Kevin Aluma, because they played on that Wofford team I, I, I name dropped earlier. Um, under Mike Young and you have Hunter Couture who went off on Duke. If they're able to just get, like, they remind me a little bit of like South Carolina when they, uh, they went to the final four where they had the defense, but what got them to the final four is that their offense really took it up a notch in the tournament, which nobody expected. Like if Virginia Tech can get their offense going and they were in the tournament last year too, they lost to Florida in overtime. Um, if they can really get their offense going and they can shoot a high percentage and they make some threes and the defense is really good. Like it was in the ACC tournament. Look out for sure. And, and I always keep an eye on the Ivy league school in the tournament. 
Yale. Because yeah. they never embarrass themselves. They play smart. They, they don't turn the ball over that much. Um, it seems to always happen in the tournament that they're just composed. They're ready to play. Um, they have a brutal matchup with Purdue. I don't think that they have any shot at, at, at slowing I think the Eddie problem down. there is that they lack – I mean, the biggest thing about Ivy League schools, other than, like, that real outlier, like, Maione when he was there at Yale, is that they all, they don't have athleticism. And yeah. when you're playing against a Jaden Ivey and a seven foot four guy, that's tough. Yeah, and their only real, like, big-level opponent this year was Auburn, and Auburn beat it by 22. Right. Um, which honestly probably could have been worse than that. Um, but they're playing well late. You know, you never know. You, you got a shooter's chance if Purdue's cold because they just played three or four games in, in a row. You never know. I mean, I always look at these teams that have these deep conference runs and say, are they really going to be up for that first game next week? Um, just because they, they had to fight through three or four, four games in, in a three or four day period. Yeah, it can be, um, it, it can be a poison pill. Like, and I mean, I'll never forget getting burned when I saw Missouri in 2012 and they had this awesome team that shoot, shot a bunch of threes. They had Kim English and Marcus Denman and I loved them and they won the big 12 tournament. And I was riding. I was like, man, they're going to win it all. They lost to Norfolk state in the first round. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't, you don't want to fall in love too much or be a prisoner of the moment. Baylor lost to Oklahoma state in the semis last year, of the big 12 tournament. They won the national title going away. Yeah, so you don't always want to go off of that last impression. No, and we, um, you know, by Brad Underwood um, from Illinois was when they got eliminated the other day by um, Indiana. They said point blank. Um, Underwood said point blank. I'm kind of happy uh, because our guys were dead last year after going on four games in four days. So now we, you know, and we really felt like that contributed us to us going home early. So if we come in with fresh legs next week, it might be a little bit different. So with the Big 12, I mean, all those teams, Big 10, all those teams are so good that, you know, the ones that went deep just might not have their legs early. And, and that's where a team like Yale that plays smart, doesn't turn the ball over, might might shock somebody. I don't expect it to happen, but if I'm trying to, to fit a slipper on somebody, it's got to be them. Yeah. Um, now, the other piece here, now, which games that you're seeing – for later rounds, like the 16, the 8, which games in this bracket are you the most excited to see? Or just singular game if it's just one? It's one. Uh, Purdue and Kentucky, if they play each other. I think it's a good mesh of styles. Yeah, I think it would be not necessarily a fast like a fast uh, game because in terms of pace, they're both like middle of the pack. But the advantages for Kentucky are the same advantages Purdue has. I would like to see him go up against one another and see – who comes out the winner. Yeah, I agree. And um, UCLA Baylor too. Um, because then, yeah. you, know, you think about Baylor, Baylor kind of had, had their issues a little bit late, but, but they know how to win. Scott exactly. got those guys ready all the time. And these are two, two final four teams from last year. Um, the defending champion being one of them. I mean, this is a, this is something you could get, you know, in the sweet 16, it's tough to not be excited about that potential. Um, now we kind of already talked about sleeper teams here. Who do you have coming out of this bracket and heading into New Orleans? Um, UCLA. I, I feel like they're the ultimate NCAA tournament experience team. Like they, how much further can you go to touching greatness than almost beating undefeated Gonzaga and losing on a half court shot in the final four? And not only that, and I mean, listen, we see teams like that and they play the next year and they're nothing. Well, the difference this time is that they brought everybody back. Everybody is back. 
So yeah, and that doesn't always compute to like winning a championship. Like I think Arizona went way back when when they had Bibby in them and they won it all. They all came back and they got blown up by Utah. So yeah, it's not a guarantee, but it, it's it's good to have in your back pocket. And it's also one of those things that these these teams, you hate to say in college, it's tough to flip the switch. But with the COVID issues they had and the game started getting jumped on top of each other. I mean, they were playing you know, four games in a week at times in January and February. Sometimes you, you have I, you hate to say schedule losses because nobody ever plans to lose. But sometimes they do exist um, and it might hurt their overall resume at the end of the year that leads to them being a four. But this is a team that, you know, has been waiting to get to this point. The winning a conference tournament to them while being cool would not be, you know, what they're here for. Um, so they're they're definitely a team that I think is gonna, you know, been gearing up for this moment. They fought the last couple months to get to this point. And you're right, they could turn around and lose to Indiana in the second round and and go home quick. Um, or they could win the whole thing. You, you never know. Uh, but this team has the has the the talent. They have the depth. They have the ability at all three levels to to score to defend you. Um, I mean, yeah. eighth in Ken Palm is no joke, and it's 15 offense, 12 defense. So they can run a little slow at times. But oh, yeah, they, they can bog down a little bit, especially from three. It really yeah. depends on Tiger Campbell on the outside. Hawkins is not a super athlete. He's just sneaky. He reminds me of Joe Harris. He's just one of these guys. He just finds a way to score. Yeah. And he can play very good defense, too. Uh, like the thing about McCronin, uh, for those who don't know him, McCronin, coach at Cincinnati forever he was he's very very intense he's yelling all the time he's just like super fiery you know a coach Mike has their best team when they're calm all the time because yes. they know that their guys got this and that's how I feel with Mick Cronin when I watch him coach this year his UCLA team like he is they are in such a comfort level because they just know how to do this because they did it yeah yeah and but that on like think of like a Jay Wright when we start thinking about that the guy never Never changes demeanor on the sideline, and his team shows it. You know, UCLA has a little bit of that going. Even in their darkest days of the season, they didn't. They weren't an emotional team. They were kind of a team there for business. I agree. I've got them in the Final Four as well. Um, now we're both agreeing, so that means they're probably going home in the second round. But <laughs> but we'll see what happens. Murray State uh, is dangerous too, as a seven. They are. They are. That Murray State San Fran game is going to be a fun one for the first round, um, just because it's it's you know it's teams that you almost you know you, you draw up and you want to see teams like that play each other. So you, a lot of people say they want to see the the mid majors play you know the big boys. No, screw that. Let's see them play each other and see what happens. Um, yeah, this ain't the playoff. This ain't the college football playoff, right? No, and you and whoever wins that game, you know, Kentucky is going to be. On their heels. Let's be, let's be honest. Um, they, they could, and Kentucky can lose to either of those teams. And, and here's the truth. And here's the difference. We're not running. There's no running away in the NCAA tournament. Like we're not. This isn't a wrestling event. We're not booking so that we can like get away from beating being buried. Like if you're gonna win, you gotta beat these teams. Like when Wichita State was a one seed, they got Kentucky in the second round. They did get jobbed. I thought that was a bad. I thought that the committee was punishing them for being a mid-major who was undefeated. So they're like, oh, let's see if you can beat the second round. Like, Let me tell you something, Mike. Wichita State fucking wanted to play Kentucky. Did they, they did. win? No, they didn't. But they had a great game. They played really hard. They yeah. won, like Murray State, they're frothing at the mouth to play these guys. Yeah. And it's just it's a winning culture. Like 30-2, and two, like you, you always think you're going to win. Oh, but John Morant. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I was I actually saw John Morant at Murray State um, – is uh oh my last God, year there star. 
yeah, he was. Uh, they they played in Hartford in the first round, um, or first two rounds really. Um, so yeah, so East, we'll we'll roll with UCLA and pretty much on the same page there. Now let's head over to the West. So in the West, we've got the top fours: Gonzaga, Duke, Texas Tech, and Arkansas. My UConn Huskies are five, so I have to give them a shout. Um, what's your first impression looking at this bracket? Um, uh, let me go Stephen A. on you. Is this the end of the road for Mike Krzyzewski? Like, will he get out of this region? Like, that that's the first thing I think of, obviously. Um, the other thing is that after you get past Gonzaga and Duke as a one and two, a lot of pretty good defensive teams, uh, almost from three on down. So, you know, you might see some rock fights in between, but like bridged at the one and at the two. Often, not juggernauts, but like teams that offensively can really overwhelm you. Yeah, um, I mean, Ken Palm's got five top 20s in this region, um, the top five seeds, then Alabama's 25th, um, and then even going further down, Boise's 26, Memphis is 28, so there's some pretty good depth here as well. Um, Davidson uh, is a is a pretty live 10 seed with the 11th offense, um, but they're super slow, so who knows. Uh, but looking at the top dogs, I mean, what might hurt Duke is their defense. Um, they They had times this year where they were excellent defensively, but again, they want to beat you scoring 85 points and they're okay. If you score 80 on their way to doing it, which sometimes when the shots stop falling in the second half is, is a, you know, making their own deathbed. They have enough talent to beat anybody in this bracket. Um, they probably have, you know, starting lineup wise, the most talented starting lineup in this, in this tournament alone. Um, Bancaro might be a generational NBA player. Um, we'll find out in a few years. Um, but, you know, and looking at this right off the bat, before we even start talking about players, the, the one and two pick in the draft might be in this region um, between Chet Holmgren and, and they played, they played in November and Duke won. It was such a just such an awesome game in Vegas, too. Yeah. Um, the, Gonzaga kind of has taken on Vegas as a second home and they played. I think they even played UCLA there. Um, but I mean, between, you know, the, the depth that Gonzaga has, the starting lineup that Duke has, those are a, a brutal top two. But to me, what jumped off the page was, you know, Michigan State, just the fact I'm not a big Michigan State fan. And if Davidson beat him in the first round, it wouldn't shock me. But Coach K and and Izzo, one last time to get to the Sweet <laughs> 16, that's something that I think is exciting. Um, it's, the I, few, I, it's the Cena and Randy Orton of the NCAA tournament. It never exactly. ends. <laughs> and they're, they're guys that always overachieve with their – I feel like Duke has had their bad, better teams when they weren't like a top five all year. They kind of found their way to piece through things. They sneak up it, on you, yeah. And same thing with Michigan State. I mean, Michigan State's a team that I – whenever I see a bracket, I always look at like, okay, how are they going to find a way to the Elite Eight this year? They always do. Um, Izzo's just that type of guy. He hasn't won the titles that, you know, a guy that's in Benner's job might you might have expected to, but he's always got a team that's going to be a tough out in March. And they're playing a lot better now than they did for the bulk of the year. I mean, there was a stretch in February where they looked like they weren't even going to make the tournament. Um, and they turned it around. They, they were able to, you know, string some wins together late and look a lot tougher. And, you know, they're probably to that conference as well um looking at that game i mean michigan state's a team that's got punched in the mouth so many times this year but but you know just being in that conference and duke is they really haven't they you know that conference has not been a good one i think beat. duke yeah i think Virginia duke was kinda, down Syracuse yeah. was down yeah i think duke kind of had like 
why they were losing games late is they hadn't really played a game that was, you know, a important feeling game for them, maybe back into that Gonzaga game or back to when they lost to Ohio state. Um, but it's, that's a matchup that's exciting to me. Um, and then working the way up, I mean, this second round could be loaded, um, but Boise State, Memphis. I don't think that you're going to see either of those teams beat Gonzaga, but I think I'd love to those... see the spread on that one. Oh yeah, I'd love either of those teams can definitely give Gonzaga a run for their money. And very uh, different styles. Memphis super duper fast. Boise wants to slow you down. They got, but they both have good big guys. Um, uh, Abu uh, Abu uh, Kigab. Uh, that's yeah. Boise. And then Jalen Duran is just like, he looks like Dwight Howard. I'm not saying he is, but he looks like him. He had a block today in their conference final with Houston that I, I think I, I rebounded and watched it like six times. If you haven't seen it, <laughs> go look at it. He He's just, physical. It was like yeah. one of those LeBron blocks. He came out of nowhere and just like destroyed the ball off the backboard. And, going and not the other to way. besmirch um, like these, uh, th- some of these players that think they're hot stuff and they're not. But Amani Bates leaving Memphis was the best thing that ever happened to him. Yeah, I agree. I mean, that team, Memphis has as much talent as anybody, but their freshmen this year, which was a loaded class, just didn't seem to get along with their seniors and their juniors and whatnot. Penny was struggling with that. He kind of found it. He had a meltdown at a press conference, you know, mm-hmm. January or so. And then they kind of turned it on from there. Um, so, it's. I mean, he probably saved his job the way that this team finished. Um, but, you know, it's Memphis. Like the, what hurts Memphis at this point is their conference. Um, there's really not a lot of excitement going on in that American. I think in their Memphis Houston game today, that if there was 4,000 people in the stands and it was a good day, the fanfare is not there. That's why, you know, as you, as a UConn fan know this, like it's just hard to get the fan base behind that for all those schools and pack up seats when you're having like tournaments in Fort Worth, Texas, you know, it's hard. And it hurts to get the recruits. I mean, Memphis is, you know, they obviously have the penny advantage. Um, but Houston, you know, transfers, they hit up Josh Carlton. He came over from UConn. I thought the kid sucked, and then, but he just didn't fit our style. And then you went into Houston, and the, there was games he was dropping 25, 30 points, and it's like, who is this kid? I, I saw this kid for four years. I never saw this in him. Um, they just have a system, and they have guys that fit in it. What hurts, what's going to hurt teams like that in the, in the, um, and I know I'm completely off topic, but that whole American conference is just like, it's just not exciting. Like the, this moment's almost going to seem too big for these guys because they haven't played in, in like an atmosphere like the rest of the country has. Um, Memphis and Boise, I, I've got obviously Gonzaga in the Sweet 16 out of there. Um, and then I, I'm, I'm skipping UConn because I want to, I don't even want to talk about it yet, but, um, <laughs> Bammer and Texas Tech is a game that I think is exciting, but then there's Bammer and Rutgers that might step in the way. I can um, see Alabama losing the Rutgers, the Rutgers Notre Dame winner. They have struck yeah, down the stretch. They have. I mean, the guard play is crazy. Um, they're not tempo, nearly as good as the two CT no, last year. No, God, no. I mean, the tempo is still good. 12th in the country, 14th in offense. Take a ton of threes. I watched it. That was the only team I saw live. They played LSU and I saw them live and yeah. take a ton of threes. Tons of threes, which that, you know, that's either a blessing or a curse. You know, you might score a hundred and beat somebody in the first they round. Beat and yeah, they beat yeah. Gonzaga. Yeah. Yeah. You might yeah. score a hundred and beat somebody in the first round and then come back and score 58 and lose the second round. You know, it's. That's how it is. Like Virginia teams will tell you that, you know, you, you fall in love with the three. Sometimes it hurts you. Um, but, you know, I Alabama Rutgers, I feel like whoever wins that game's got a good shot at the Sweet 16. Texas Tech, I don't want to gloss over them. Um, they are they are for the best defense in the country um, as far as uh, efficiency. 
but 65th in offense, which 65 is not a bad number. But it's something that you could definitely see some of these high high octane offenses slowing it, them down. It's a tapering down. It's a situation where if things break bad, your defense cannot fix it or your offense cannot fix itself. And yeah. they do have talent. Like they actually have five double digit scores. So they've got they've got a little bit of ammo there. Um, like Bryson Williams and Davion Warren. The one guy, one of the players I do like is Kevin McCuller. He's like a really good defender. Um, they also brought in Kevin O'Banner, who played on that Oral Roberts team, because he's like a pop. He like pops out for threes and stuff. But yeah, um, offensively, I agree with you. They're uncreative. They um, they don't like, they're balanced, but they don't have like a go to guy. And if you're trending the wrong way offensively and you like say they play, say they play Rutgers and they just Rutgers just slows them down and Rutgers top guys make shots that are really difficult and Texas Tech doesn't have anyone who can do that that can yeah. really that can really hurt them in the end and um I'm not saying that like Texas is Texas Tech is ripe for a loss I really like them the other problem is Mark Adams as good as he is of a defensive coach he's never been a head coach in the NCAA tournament he's not yeah. Which the lights, once the lights are on, it's a completely different animal. Right. Um, and then uh, Vermont and Arkansas. That's a game that, I mean, Vermont, I have like kind of a, have a I have a special place in my heart in Vermont because I was in the building the year they beat Syracuse in the first round. Um, mm-hmm. And I was uh, like. With inst- Brennan, right? Yep. Yeah. Um, I was a I was a Vermont fan that night, and um, it was it was a real fun day in in, in my home city of Worcester, <laughs> uh, Massachusetts. But um, you know Vermont's a thir- 13th seed, 59th in Kempom, 44th in offense, 74th in defense. So they're not glaringly bad at anything. Their their tempo is slow, but uh, and then Arkansas is fast. So that's really the difference in this game. Can Vermont slow this game down, um, or will? Kansas run them out of the gym. I mean, Arkansas run them off the out of the gym. Arkansas, <laughs> Arkansas. Yeah, I'm, I'm just like blowing through it here. Um, will Arkansas run them out of the gym, or will Vermont be able to slow them down and, and hit their shots? Um, it's that's a really good game, and I could see that going either way. Um, Arkansas is good. I'll yeah, Arkansas is good. But if I mean, we'll talk about the Cinderella shoe fitting now. Vermont's a team that we've seen it fit for before. Um, they're, they're a tough team. They, they play a tough schedule to the most part. They played Providence this year, lost by, I think eight or 10. Um, but it was a pretty entertaining game. I remember watching that. It was at the dunk. Um, so, I mean, this Vermont teams, they're, they're good. Um, it's all going to be in tempo. If they can, you know, slow down Arkansas, move things the way they want it to go, then they're going to have a shot to beat them. Uh, but if Arkansas starts running, then the Vermont might as well run home. Yeah, Arkansas was much was better last year. They had Moses Moody. And I remember they struggled early against um, a, a Colgate. And Colgate was kind of weird because that was the 2021 year, the co- the post-COVID year. And they played – they had a weird schedule where they literally played no one out of conference. Like they only played Patriot League teams. But they struggled early. But then like Arkansas got it going and they sort of write it – they righted it. But um, but this year with Musselman, I've seen them – you know, they beat LSU three times. They beat them like a drum the last time in the SEC tournament. But – um. They they have some depth. They have smaller guards. Um, they don't shoot the ball really well. They do play great defense, but they do play fast, like you said. Um, Vermont. The thing I will say about low majors and mid majors, and and this sort of is, it sounds hypocritical. When it comes to conference tournaments and mid major and low major, it does matter. So like for example. Vermont played UMBC, who was the same one that beat Virginia a few years ago. They played them in the – they were the top two teams in the America East. 
Vermont beat UMBC like a fucking drum. Like, so, I mean, it was so convincing that it's just one of those ones, like, almost like Loyola Chicago when they do well out of the Valley, where you're like, oh, yeah, they're they're no joke. And that's how I feel like with Vermont under John Becker. Like, this is probably the best team he's had, and he had Anthony Lamb. So we'll, yeah. we'll see how it goes. Like, I can see the upset. Against UConn, no, I don't see it. Just too much length for, for UConn. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, with, with Arkansas, I think they can definitely beat them if, if all the, the chips align. Um, Vermont, the, the crazy thing about Vermont is I watched that game, I think it was yesterday. I don't remember at this point, all these days rolling. It was Saturday. Saturday. Yeah, Saturday. So, I mean, it's one of those weird conferences they played at home. So it's tough to really, like, you know, they were so unbeatable at home in that conference that it doesn't really – I don't want to say that they don't impress me. Yeah, but, some of these conference tournaments, for those who don't know, they play at campus sites sometimes. They don't play yeah. there location so that was one of them and they just blew the bricks off of them so um so that's that was one to watch and now i'm ready to talk about uconn so i was i'm not gonna lie to you i was pretty happy when i saw this 12 um reason being i'm not saying that they're gonna be a pushover but i like the fact that we're playing them in buffalo and i like the fact that it's not possibly indiana or wyoming um now i did a little bit of a deep dive on san diego state already they they have two guys that average double digits one of them's 19.3 he's a junior teddy new, Me- allen. new mexico state new mexico sorry. state i'm sorry yep um new mexico state teddy allen 6 6 uh forward um i think a 6 6 and to us i'm not scared of that um serge serge abari rice is he averages 13 i game. thought you said serge abaca was there like oh <laughs> you're in trouble now and then they got john johnny <laughs> mccants who's at 8.5 so um, looking at this team, they were um, 81st in Ken Palm, 87th in offense, 73rd in defense, and their tempo's 223. UConn's 18th in Ken Palm, 21 in offense, 35 in defense, 291 tempo. We like to play slow. We like to beat you up. We like to use our bodies on you. We're only going to roll you seven deep, basically, sometimes eight, depending on if um, Jordan Hawkins is able to play next week. Um, he was a big X factor this week. I think we've beaten over if he's healthy. He got banged up in that that nightmare of a game we had in Creighton last week. Um, so if if Jordan Hawkins is back, Jordan Hawkins is an NBA player. Not this year. He's a freshman. He still has to put some weight on. But he's going to be an NBA player in a couple years. Um, Andre Jackson's turning around for us. He's Andre not Jackson gonna... reminds me of Michael Carter Williams. He's like he doesn't look like a point guard until you watch him play, and he's got the skills of a point guard. He played out of his mind against Nova the other night. Um, he if he scores six points, it's a good scoring night for him. I mean, that's just not what we need him to do. We just need him to play defense and distribute. Um, and he could, I think, he could jump from the three point line if he wanted to get a dunk in. Um, so. But the key to this team is the is the big three. Um, I mean, Paulie and Hawkins coming off the bench are going to be the two that really can help us get out of some scoring funks. And Paulie did he didn't he just come back from COVID? Um, he had an illness. They were pretty hush hush on what it was. Okay. Um, he was only he was away from the team for like three days, so I don't think it was COVID, but it was something. I know it's such a shame. They're just going to have to use another six foot nine guy off the bench. Like, I know, like Isaiah Wally or Acock Acock. Like yeah, you know. So I mean, we, a cook a cook like hasn't played at all. He's had like this phantom foot injury. 
Um, I can't really pinpoint a point when Hurley lost faith in him, so I don't know what the hell happened there. Um, but I do think that they might need to use him a little bit just to keep Sonogo out of foul, foul trouble. Sonogo is the reason we lost to Villanova. I hate to put it on one guy, um, but he just couldn't hit a layup. He couldn't put the ball in the hoop in, in easy scenarios. And what's going to beat Nova, and when we talk about them, is their size. We just couldn't do it that night. Um, but we go where RJ Cole and Tyrese Martin take us, in, in my opinion. Um, two super seniors that somehow still have a year of eligibility next year if they want. I don't even understand it at this point with the COVID year. Um, the, the, the 2021 season was exempted. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, but if our, if RJ Cole's on, I'm not, I'm not going to say that he's our Kemba and he's our Shabazz, but sometimes he has that feel to him that you can talk yourself into it as UConn's fans. In my opinion, what's going to kill us in the long runs, our offense, um, it just goes the too dry at times. Percentage. Yes. Yeah, and they just tend to take stupid shots. But the defense, I mean, we're 35th in the rankings, but if you saw us play in, in MSG, we're playing at a higher level than that, and we'll D anybody up, and we just can't let you score 70 on us because I don't think that we can get there. <laughs> so The, thing, the uh, thing about UConn is that, I mean, I like them. Like, uh, one of my favorite games I saw, they played in the Bahamas. Bahama, Auburn, Bahamas, yeah. And, and then it was a wild game that went to double overtime because of some – wacky mistakes at the end of the the periods but it was a good game and UConn won the game and the reason UConn beat Auburn is because they were just as good at what Auburn does as Auburn was like you know they had the length they had some decent shooting that night or that day and they were able to basically get into the passing lanes and kind of uh and kind of mess with your offense and not let you get anything easy and that's what they're good at but you hit it on the head with RJ Cole, their their six one guard. Like that's the guy. Like if he's able to get to the free throw line, he shoots a, a decent percentage. If he's able to stay involved and he doesn't kind of has a, have a disappearing act in the second half, then yeah, they're really they're going to be tough to beat because that gets Sonogo going. It's very much like Arizona with Christian Coloco and Kirk Creesa. Like when he's going. The other one's going. So, you know, it, it, I really do like that team. They're really fun. They're a balanced team. They're at, they're, they're almost a, not exactly like Jim Calhoun's UConn teams, which were just very, very like they had great length, but they could also shoot and play defense and do a lot of and they had pro level guys all over the place. Like they they were a little bit of a cut above this one. But this team is really good. And I wouldn't want to sleep on them if I was, you know, Arkansas or um, even if you move on to Gonzaga, like that would be a really fun matchup. Yeah. And that's the thing is, is to me, I look at this bracket. I'm happy if we get to the Sweet 16 and lose to Gonzaga. Like, obviously, I want to beat them. But I know we'll be a heavy underdog there. So, you know, we're in we're on the, the we're unfortunate side of being with the um that the top overall seed, if we can get to the sweet 16, I think that we're moving, continuing to move the, the program in the right direction. Um, and then if you beat Gonzaga, you're in house money at that point. So that's the mentality I'm going in with this as a fan. I do expect us to get there. Um, but if we you know, decide we want to shoot 28% from the field, we could lose to New Mexico state in the first round. So um, it could go either way with this team. I don't think that they've got the uh, let's win six games and, and run it back again mentality, but you never know. Um, if something happens with Gonzaga, anything anything can slow us, can slow them and, down. And, and the thing for Gonzaga that really helps them, it, and I mean I don't want to sound like a broken record when we talk about it. Every time Gonzaga has like a matchup as we as we preview, it's Chet. Like they didn't yeah. have that against Baylor. Like and Chet Holmgren does need to put weight on, and he's 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 not a completely polished prospect, but he shoots the fuck out of the ball. He can make threes. He blocks everything. He's got the longest arms you've ever freaking seen. Like he just is everywhere. 
You know, yeah. is, is he a perfect prospect? Like, is he Jabari Smith Jr.? No, I'd rather have Jabari Smith Jr. in the NBA than if I was a team than than Chet. But he is a force. And then you got Drew Timmy. He kind of covers all of his defensive uh, issues where, you know, he's not good on ball screens and he's he doesn't shuffle his feet well. And it kind of frees him up to basically freelance and just basically focus on scoring inside, which is Timmy's amazing at. So, yeah, really good balance. And that is a bad recipe for UConn where they the thing they value the most is their wingspan and their length and athleticism. And they're going to play a team that has the same thing. But yeah, the key the key to a game from that would you'd have to the, the one thing that slows Gonzaga down sometimes is when Chet's in foul trouble. Similar to us when Sonogo's in foul trouble. So so that would obviously be the, you have the to recipe. Him. Yeah, you gotta you gotta beat him up. Like that's a game you would need to cook a cook to go in there and, and you know, throw a couple elbows at him. Um <laughs> we, you gotta play Yukon style basketball to beat him, but like I'm talking about like you were saying, the Calhoun style that, you know, we're gonna make you remember that this game happened. Um so, yeah, I mean, obviously that's the game that I personally want to see the most, but I definitely am looking mostly forward to a potential Gonzaga-Duke rematch in the Elite Eight because that game back in November or December, whenever it was, was one of my favorite games of the year other than that Auburn game that we were discussing. Yeah, and and then, like, we talked about the defensive teams in the middle of that bracket. Like, Texas Tech and Duke, that's not easy either for Duke. No. You know, that that would be a struggle, you know, and I I know that, I know Mark Adams has something to prove. Like he's got to prove that he can coach up this team in the tournament. Um, you know, they did well in the regular season, but that's a regular season. It's, it's big boy time now. So I'm kind of interested to see where that is. Also, um, just to keep note for everybody, like Duke historically has struggled in the West. Like, and when they go to the regional there, like they got blown out by Arizona, uh, like a long time ago when they had Kyrie, then they go to the West, they played Oregon in the sweet 16 and Oregon killed them. So, you know, I just, I got a weird feeling Duke's not going to get out of the West coast. And it's like, it's true when you think about the fact that, um, they, they kind of might've been distracted by the coach K stuff. Um, I mean, I remember when. Calhoun retired. Like, I'm not saying Calhoun's Coach K, but when he retired, he didn't tell anybody until the season ended. The 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 goodbye run kind of might have, you know, put put some extra pressure on that team. Oh, God, we got to win this for him. Um, but, you know, look at what happened in that night at Cameron when they were on. Maybe he could pull and, a Tom Brady and come back. Yeah, you know, who knows? <laughs> who knows? I don't think that that school's going to – I mean, obviously they're going to miss them, but they're going to keep the pedigree going. Um, they oh, just the recruiting have, is ridiculous for Duke. Yeah. Fine. They just have too much equity there. But that is Shire. their weakness too, Mike. Like, they, yeah. they, they have one and done, guys, which is amazing. It's awesome to have, like, a Zion and an R.J. Barrett and a – um. And a Vernon Carey Jr. and um and uh I'm trying to remember the other one. Oh, Wendell Carter Jr. It's awesome to have those guys, but if you can't coach up the defense quick enough and you start settling into these like sloppy zones, well yeah. guess what? They're gonna bust the zones. Like that's the thing. They're gonna yeah, find is, a way to beat them. Is Bancaro gonna die for a loose ball when you need him to in the fourth quarter or fourth quarter, the second half when you know he's thinking about what what spot in the draft he's gonna go? Right. That that's where that one and done thing kind of can hurt sometimes. So we know we already kind of talked about the players to watch here. We spent a little bit extra time here, obviously, because I, I fell into a, a Yukon um, rabbit hole area. Uh, so what well, who do you have coming out of this? Um, is it Gonzaga or is it as simple as that? Or do you have a surprise here? Uh, I, got, I got Gonzaga. Um, if I had if I really had to go with any surprise, uh, like somebody just going really far, um, it, it would 
I don't want to pump you up to it might be UConn if they beat Gonzaga in the Sweet 16. Like No, it's th- true. If if that I, I and I feel that whoever wins that game would go to the final four. Um just because I mean I I feel like we would uh, I, I'm obviously Duke's super talented and more talented than us, but I, I would like Texas that matchup. Tech I really like, I just don't like them enough. Like yeah. it, they I mean I know I know Chris Beard leaving. I know some people are happy that they're having a good year without him, but that's not going to last forever. No, no. Where, where is the weakness? Where is the point where you're like, you know, Chris Beard was there. They would have done better doing this or this. It's going to happen. I just don't know where it's going to happen for them in this tournament. Um, but I, I mean, they're really, they are a good team. Like I wouldn't completely like throw them, like throw them like away. It's just, I can't, I'm like, I'm not all in on the red Raiders. Like I just, I'm just not there. Whereas with UConn, I do like them if they can get past the Zags. But man, the Zags are so good. And They're so also good. Just like just like UCLA, did they beat UCLA? Yes, they did. They got blasted into outer space by Baylor in the national title game, and they yeah. were defeated. So they got a chip on their shoulder big time. Oh, for sure, for sure. And they they slapped UCLA around again this year too, uh, yeah. early in the year. On that um, so yeah. That's what I have set up. We we both have set up for the final four matchup, and then we'll now we'll flip over to the other side. So the South. So in the South, our top four are Arizona, Villanova, Tennessee, and Illinois. Um, Arizona's two in Ken Palm. Nova's eleven. Tennessee seven, and Illinois is seventeen. With a shout to Houston, who's fourth in Ken Palm with a tenth offense and the eleventh defense. That's almost as balanced as anybody in this bracket is. Um, but it's Houston. Are we really that bought in on them? Um, now, what is your first impression looking at the South? Um, Arizona might play two teams that they already played because they already played Illinois on the road and they beat them. They barely beat them, but they beat them. And then they went on the road and they played Tennessee and they lost. So there is a possibility because that's a four and a three that they might wind up hit, uh, hitting on both of them. Obviously, Tennessee's got to get past whoever that would be. You would guess if it's chalk Villanova, but that that's kind of interesting. Um, Arizona, the thing about Arizona is like they pass the eye test. When you watch them get off the bus, you're like, holy shit, they're going to blow us out. And they they play that way, too, when they're going. Now, if you can ugly it up like Tennessee did now, it's now it gets interesting. And also Kirk Creesa hurt his ankle. So you don't know how healthy he is If they have to go with Justin Kyer instead of Creesa. Chris is not an amazing player. He only shoots 36 percent, but he's the point guard. Like when you watch him play, you know, he's the point guard. So without him, there's definitely a bit of a of a hit. Um, they're just so athletic. They play fast. They, you know who they remind me of, Mike? They remind me of the Gonzaga team last year. Just a little more physicality and strength. Yeah, they're they're just so large that Arizona team. Yeah. Uh, but athletic large too. It's not like they've got this big big ball hunk in the middle of the middle. You got Dale Perry coming off the bench dunking on. Yeah, them. it's insane. Yeah. Like the 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 way they closed out that UCLA game last night was just so impressive. Every time I watch Arizona, I like them more. Um, and I'm gonna be honest, looking at this bracket, I see no resistance for them until the Elite Eight. Um, I just don't see, I mean, Illinois has got the size, but I'm not really bought in on this Illinois team. I I just have struggled with it. It's just, I, I, when I watch them, I feel like, you know, Coburn is just, he's, he's obviously a good player, but he's almost like they slows them down at times. That's a, that's a four 13 Alps that's happened there. Chattanooga's got a player named Malachi Smith. Who's a very good guard. Like he was one of the Ken Palm's best, like individual performers all season long. I'm not defensively. Yeah. That's two. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I had him down as one of the players to watch. Um, 
that's a that's going to be a tough game for them. Um, the other one that you know looks like uh, I mean seven ten is not much of an upset. In fact, Loyola is the favorite in that game right now. Um, Loyola and Ohio State. Um, that's a fun game to watch um, because it's kind of I mean Loyola at this point's built up equity the last couple of years um, with Sister Jean and all that stuff. So they're always a team that you look for in the tournament. Um, that entire lower bracket looks like it's being geared up for Tennessee and Nova. Let's talk about Nova for a little bit, because obviously I, I know a lot about them. Um, eighth in offense, 28th in defense, but 345 in tempo. What what impresses me about Nova is they just played three games and three nights in, in MSG. They played the other team's style all three games, and they won all three games. Now, do I really count Saturdays as Creighton style? No, nobody will ever come to the gym and say, hey, I'm going to shoot three for 29 from three. Like, like and Creighton did. likes to play defense, which is right up Villanova's alley. Yeah, but what Colin Gillespie did against us with just, you know, grabbing double teams and then finding the open guy, he's like a magician when it comes to that. I mean, he was he wasn't even seeing guys and he knew they were open and where they were. It was the the guy I feel like he's been at Villanova for thirty five years. <laughs> uh, well he looks just like Ryan Archidiakono. <laughs> yeah. I um, will go I will okay, personally go, go to his graduation and, and hand it to him so I never have to see him again. Last year he tore his MCL right before the end of the season. So and I'll never I, I Brad Woodling, shout out to him for PTB and he um he's a Villanova guy. I told him is I will never forget the look on his face when Villanova was in the Sweet 16 and they were playing Baylor and he could not help them. He looked so pissed off. I knew he was coming back because he could have left. That was his uh, senior year. And I, and I just knew it. I was like, he is he's going to avenge this. And maybe he won't. Maybe they get tripped up, like you said, to um against, um you know, like the Loyola Ohio State winner. Ohio State's got EJ Liddell. He's a stud. You yeah, know, yeah. he could go off, too. But, um, yeah, like things happen. Like you don't always get that. You don't always get that dream ending. But, man, Gillespie came back for this. Like he gets to the free throw line. So does Justin Moore. Brandon Slater is very athletic. Um, And they actually have like six guys that average nine points a game or more, which is like amazing. So they're very, very well balanced. I saw them lose to UCLA at the beginning of the season. I also saw them get destroyed by Baylor. So they they do have tendencies to like kind of like lay an egg, especially if they can't make threes because they're a slower team, like you said, and they take a lot of threes. But if you brick them all, you got nothing. So you got to get the line. Yeah, yeah. When you look at the games they've lost, so they lost to Purdue in the state. They lost to 80 to 74. They lost to UCLA 86, 77. After that, they lost to Baylor where they scored 36 points. Yep. They lost to Creighton when they scored 59. They lost to Marquette when they scored 54. And then they lost They lost to us at 69 and Marquette at 73. So they kind of figured that out when they had low-scoring days, how to like still make it happen for them. But, I mean, in MSG, 66, 63, and 54 in three nights was enough for them. So but they're playing better, better defense. This is better than the 19 team that got blown out by Purdue in the tournament. Like, they're better than that. Are they as good as the Dante DiVincenzo um, Jalen Brunson, Mikael Bridges. Hell no, no, not no. Close. But they're good. 
Yeah, they're, they've got this the, – the kid Longino, who's he's starting to play a little bit better as a freshman for them. Um, Caleb Daniels has had his moments. He was really good to close the regular season. He's kind of struggled the last couple games. Um, they're, they're not incredibly deep, but they're deep enough in a tournament, I think. What scares me for them is kind of what we were saying about um, the, like a team like Purdue that played four games in four days or whatever. They did that at Nova, but there were some injuries that they were playing through at the same time. Samuels yeah. has had a back injury. Um, he didn't look it against us. He was lights out. But then he did look like it against Creighton and St. John's. Slater's been been ice for them. He's been pretty solid, but he kind of fell off again. And he had, he had was a little dinged up. And Dixon, who's their big, that really is their only big, he's mm-hmm. been abysmal the last couple of weeks. He hasn't been able to play more than 14 minutes in, in four straight games. So they're a team that I said this to a buddy that's a big Providence fan. Villanova, in my opinion, was going to be better suited in the tournament if they went home early in MSG. Obviously, now they have the momentum and things might turn around for them. But to the point we were talking earlier, these injuries start to add up. And when you're only running seven, eight deep, if one of those guys can only you know, be on a minute restriction and another guy needs to come off the court to get ice treatment or whatever, it's not easy to keep a flow going. And that's kind of hurt their their scoring. They they reverse roles and started slapping the floor and play defense a little bit more. Um, but they're, and they, with that tempo, they, if they can play their tempo, you can survive that. But looking at like, this is a pretty slow region other than Arizona. Um, UAB, UAB is 81. Everybody else is 162 and lower. Yeah. I don't think UAB is going to, that's a 512, which there's always a 512, a 12 always beats a five somewhere. I don't see it here, but Jordan Walker for UAB is like, he can get buckets. Yeah. And Houston's another one, you know, UAB and Houston, um, Houston's another, they're only running eight. Their, their highest scoring player hasn't played since like what, January. Yeah. Um, they're, they're, they're ripe for the taking. Um, their, again, best, their best players are bigs. Uh, Fabian, yeah. And, and, and you mentioned Carlton, the one guy I do like, but I think he's not there yet talent wise, but I, he's going to be a star. Jamal shed. I, yeah. I think it's good. They yeah, also got massacred by injuries, like Marcus Sasser and Tremont Mark going down really killed them. They're running thin right now. I, they're, Houston's a team, but wouldn't surprise me if they were in the Final Four. Wouldn't surprise me if they lost in the first round. Right. That's just kind of how they're built. It's all and about offensive that, rebounding for them. That Illinois Illinois Chattanooga game is the one that jumps off the page to me. Um, it's just that that's that's a fun game. Chattanooga's got um, Malachi Smith. They. They're 78 in Ken Palm. They're they're really they're under 100 in both offense and defense. They like to play slow. Illinois really, I don't know. I don't know if they're really going to beat you going too fast. They're in the 177 tempo too. Andre Corbello has been so awful. bad. Yeah, awful. So bad. Like I just can't even imagine. Like I cannot believe it's the same player. I mean, I, you know, sometimes like I remember when um, Tyshawn Taylor was at Kansas and Elijah Johnson played behind him. And he looked great, but then Johnson became the starter once Taylor was gone, and he stunk. Some people are just better being the backup. That was the case with Curbelo when Ayo Desumu was there. Now we know how good Ayo Desumu was now with the Bulls. But uh, and he won the Koozie Award. Like people knew how good uh, Desumu was, but oh yeah, he covered a lot of the problems that they had. Now they've done okay. Like Frazier came back as like a fifth year senior. Alonzo Alfonso Plummer's been a good um uh um transfer for them and Coleman Hawkins has helped out too when uh Coburn's in uh, foul trouble but you you hit it. it it's about Coburn if he can bully him down low if he can't they're in trouble 
if Coburn gets in foul trouble, they're so screwed. Um, right. And Chattanooga is ready to beat them if they, if they are. Um, and then the other one that, that jumped off to me, like I said, I talked about it earlier, Michigan as an 11 seed that probably should be in a play-in game, um, playing Colorado State in Indianapolis. Um, it's going to be like a Michigan home game. That's not too far for them. Um, Michigan, based there's always a team that you feel shouldn't be in the tournament or shouldn't be in their spot in the tournament that ends up in the Sweet 16. I don't uh-huh. see that with this team because I think Tennessee would beat them. But if Michigan wins that first game, by no means would it surprise me. Oh, me neither. Like, uh, the, I mean, Hunter Dickinson is really good. I watched him play Purdue like about a month ago and just lit him up like a Christmas tree. Like, yeah, he, he's very, very talented. I mean, I was surprised when he even came back, you know. Yeah. And th- do they have the magic that they had last year when Jawan Howard was the coach of the year and they had Franz Wagner and some seniors? No, that's not the. they're not the same. But they're really like they, they actually do have talent. The problem is like Caleb Houston and um, the, Musa Diabati, the freshman. One's a big and one's a wing. Like, they've really relied on them to try to, like, help spark the offense, and they just haven't been able to do it consistently. If they can make shots, then you got a nice little, like, starting five there, uh, including Devontae Jones and Eli Brooks, who's been there, I feel like, forever. Uh, but Dickinson is a really, really tough matchup. And uh, the one thing that really helps out Colorado State is, like, David Roddy is a really good player, like a really good, efficient offensive player. Yeah. And the other game that pops up for me is um, the eight and nine Seton Hall and TCU. Now, what really interests me about this game is once I got to look at their Ken Palms, Seton Hall, 35 overall, TCU, 38 overall, Seton Hall, 75th in offense, TCU, 80th in offense, Seton Hall, 26th in defense, TCU, 24th in defense. (laughs) They're almost mirror images of each other. Um, Seton Hall really struggled with offense late. They got hot to end the regular season. Injuries too. Injuries they got taking them over. Yeah, so badly. Yeah. yeah, but Jared Roden's a stud. Um, first team All Big East. Um, he was you know he we shut him down in the UConn game in the tournament, but um, kid that just means he's probably gonna heat up next. Well, that's because Bryce Hakins had a concussion and he hasn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Seton Hall, they've they've been injured. Um, they're they're not particularly deep. But their team, them and TCU, are pretty similar. I mean, it's a one and a half point spread in the early early lean, one thirty over under. So it might not be completely and exciting. And Kevin Willard has done well in the tournament. Like he's had teams do better than expected. Yeah, they've got Miles Kale, who's been a, a spark plug for them lately. as a senior. Um, so they're they're a team that that can beat anybody. But I just don't think they're gonna. I mean, Arizona's come calling if they win the first game. That ain't happening. Yeah, so, I, don't, I don't even like I don't even like them that much against TCU because I, no. I immediately looked at TCU. I saw Jamie Dixon's name and I fell asleep. But yeah. Uh, I mean, they've got Mike Miles, who I saw before in uh, under-19 games, and he's talented, and they got a couple other guys. But, man, this game will be a bore. I'll probably just say Seton Hall. But, yeah, miss me for Arizona. Yeah, yeah, they're setting the, they're pretty close to each other in, in talent level. But, yeah, who cares who wins this? They're going home in the next round. And then Houston, Illinois, yeah, whatever. Um, the game that I'm most excited for is Tennessee and Nova. Um, I think that – that's a game that, you know, 172 tempo, but they're really good defensively with Tennessee. Um, if Villanova can can play their game, they can beat them, but that's a damn good game. Um, I currently have Tennessee winning that game. What are your thoughts on that potential Sweet 16 matchup? You know, they were in the same uh, early season tournament, I think, in Uncasville, and, but they didn't play because, um, because I think Tennessee lost to uh, Purdue. 
So, yeah, that uh, was the game that the the tournament that Purdue just ran through everybody. Right, like, like the the Jay Ivy breakout. But yeah. um, but in this one, it like it's interesting. Like I've seen Tennessee; they won the SEC tournament. They've been impressive all year. Um, you know, I don't want to try to like generalize it too much. Is I just have trouble sometimes tr- trusting Rick Barnes. Like I know he can get talent. I know his teams are well balanced. I know they can get to the tournament and do damage. There's just always a point with Rick Barnes's teams where they just they they just fall apart and it's like and the offense dies and they got good guards like Kenny Chandler's going to go to the NBA Vescovi is like a or Vescovi he's a good defender uh Ziegler's a good defender John Fulkerson is in his eighth year there yeah. <laughs> but like the, like they got the experience and they got size on the bench like they've got it seems like they got it all on paper um, it's just, there's just something missing they, I always feel like with Tennessee, um, even when they had Grant Williams and Admiral Schofield, like, I'm like, man, they, like they're going to trip up somewhere. And I'll just say like, they, they just, I mean, I can see them getting past Villanova if they can get really physical Villanova, but Villanova, like you said, they like to do that too. That's why I think they have their nicks and knacks and injuries because, you know, they, they do. They have a great post player. No, Eric Dixon is the only one. But their guards run all these cross screens where they like get in the paint. They just bang and they draw fouls and they just don't quit. And like I can see this game just being a real slugfest. Uh, if I had to guess, flip a coin, I'd probably just say Villanova's going to beat them. Yeah, they don't. I mean, Tennessee won't really kill you with size, um, so it's not a bad matchup. For but they can throw bodies Nova, at you. But they can. They're deep. They're deeper yeah. than Nova. Um, I think Tennessee would get Arizona a better game than Nova. I just don't think Nova's got the size anywhere to come anywhere close oh, to I think beating Arizona. I think it. I saw Arizona play USC, and it turned into a Duncan three show. And yeah. That's so what happened? That I mean, Gillespie obviously would keep them in it for a stretch, but I mean, when all said and done, Arizona I think is going to roll through this bracket regardless. Um, you know, we've mentioned a lot of players already. Is there any other players in this bracket that interest you? Ben Ben Matherin of Arizona is a stud. Yeah, that Arizona is just buried with he him. He has a really bad game. Then they're on upset alert. Yeah, and similar. I'm going to go Lucas Williamson for Loyola. Um, the, he's a guy that, you know, when he's able to get his offense going, they'll beat Ohio state. If he does, um, you know, it's just the power of sister Jean. Let's see if she, and we're good. We have to mention her because <laughs> she can will Loyola to places sometimes. So Porter Moser um, is not walking through that door. He's at Oklahoma. No, no. So I got Arizona coming out of this bracket. I'm assuming you do as well. Yeah. Yeah. I like yeah. him. I like him coming out of the South. Yeah, perfect. And then we will roll through to the Midwest. So Midwest, we've got top four of Kansas, Auburn, Wisconsin, and the much maligned Providence Friars. Um, <laughs> Kansas, six and Ken Palm, Auburn, 10, Wisconsin, 34, Providence, 49. Wisconsin did play Providence this year, but Johnny Davis did not play and Providence did win. Um, then you've got Iowa, who is a very, very tough five seed. Um, when Providence saw that on their bracket today, they probably uh, – you know, got a little little issues in their pants. Let's put it that way. Um, what what is your quick glance at this bracket? First impression. The, e- the easiest road is usually the wildest one. So everybody looked at this and said, "Ah, Kansas is in their backyard. They got an Auburn team that's slipping. Wisconsin can't. Wisconsin is slipping. Like they're just they they they're probably getting the sense of like, oh, Kansas might have this one easy. Every time someone says that, Mike, like." 
it's chaos. Like, yeah. <laughs> you, like Kansas is going to lose in the second round to like either Creighton or San Diego State, and all hell breaks loose. So I, I just got a weird feeling that anything goes in this one. Speaking of Creighton and San Diego State, take the under in that one, guys. Um, <laughs> San Diego State second defense, 268 tempo. Creighton 18th in defense, 190 tempo. And, I mean, Creighton, I went to a game with they beat us. They beat UConn in the 50s. Um, they lost by six to Nova the other night at 48. Um, they're a team that they're, if their threes aren't falling, they're still going to have a competitive game with you. They're just so well coached. McDermott is always ready for his opponent. And they roll some big bodies out in front of you. Um, yeah. Ryan Kalkbrenner is good. Kalkbrenner's yeah. good. Uh, Hawk, uh, was it was it Hawkins? Was that his yeah, name? Yeah, Ryan Hawkins. Arthur Kaluma is pretty good. Kaluma's just getting better by the game. If Alex O'Connell gave them like 80% of what he's capable of, then that team would be really good. And the crazy um, thing about them is that they were the opposite last year. And the year before when COVID got canceled, they had a good team with Tyshawn Alexander. So, like, they, they – um. They were doing it with offense. Marcus Zigorowski. I'm trying to remember the other guy's name that transferred to Texas, but um, they they were really they they had a really good offense, and then they just got that they got blasted by Jalen Suggs Gonzaga team. But they, they kind of flipped the script on this one. They also took a really tough blow, losing Ryan M- Nemhard to a broken wrist. So yes, when, Nemhard, freshman of the year in the yeah. Big East. Yeah, they 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 lost him and then went to the dunk and got blown up by Providence. Then they kind of figured it out from there. Um, mm-hmm. Nothing. Creighton gives me nightmares um, since we came back to the Big East at UConn. We're 0 five against them in two years. Um, <laughs> they just have our number. Um, it's just that's just the way it is. And I see them. I almost circle the loss. Uh, it's just the way it's been. Uh, but that team was able to piece it together. Uh, they they they're just so well coached. I can't say enough. They're not deep at all. But they always find a way to be competitive. They should not have been anywhere near this seed when the season started. But they're just a fighting team. They're gonna they're gonna grind you to death. Almost always get you to play their style and control the tempo. Um, them and them in um, San Diego State's a fun game, and I really think the winner of that could give Kansas hell. Yeah, that's Brian Dutcher, who uh, he coached uh, he coached under um, Steve Fisher forever at Michigan and then at San Diego State. So, like, it's pretty much the same system that Fisher did. You know, I, you and I talked about this, like, every time I see San Diego State, because last year they they had a lesser than team or, like, a team that was a little better than this one, but not as good as 2020, and they lost to Syracuse. I always go back to that 20 team with uh, Malachi Flynn and think what would have been, because, like, that team was legit. Like, the Mountain West has a history, just to kind of wrap up the Mountain West teams, like, they have a history of not delivering in the tournament. Like, they, it's been very, very, uh, if you look at the numbers and the record of the Mountain West teams throughout history in the NCAA tournament, it is really bad. So if you want to, if you want to bet against Mountain West teams and your wagers, I'd say you're, it's a safe bet. But that 2020 team could have done damage and they just didn't yes. get the chance. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, then below that, we've got the Iowa Richmond and Providence South Dakota State area. So first and foremost, I have Iowa Rich- blowing out Richmond. By yeah, the way. Iowa's Richmond's going to be a team that's happy to be here. Iowa is clicking on all cylinders right now. Keegan Murray looks like the best player in the country all of a sudden. Um, just so tough to stop. The talent in this region is nuts. Between 
Agbaji in Kansas, Jabari Smith in Auburn, Johnny Davis in Wisconsin, Murray in Iowa. I mean, those are super Walker high end Kessler, talents. Yeah. Walker Kessler. And yeah. I got to give a shout out to my LSU Tiger, Tari Eason. He's a nice yep. player. And I mean, you know, Bynum for Providence. Um, he, he can put 30 on you at any point. Al Durham, the transfer from Indiana. Um, Durham will hit every free throw you put in front of him. Um, then another name that's that nobody's talking about in San, South Dakota State is a team that I don't know the fifth Providence is going to be too excited to see Doug Wilson, seven, seven shoots about 45% from three. Um, this kid is a stud. This South Dakota state team is a tough matchup for Providence. I'll um, tell you why they're tough. I like his teammate, Baylor Shireman. Like, yeah, they're, that is a legit, like they led the country in three point field goal percentage. Like, I don't want to, sh- I don't want to scare the daylights out of the Friar fans, but cause I think, I think Providence has been tough as nails and super clutch all year long. Um, but man, like what a tough draw. Like that, that's a team that's really tough, but let me get, like, let me say this. So Auburn a few years ago played New Mexico state, New Mexico state almost got them. And, uh, but they, but they had a three in the air, but it didn't go in Auburn won. So people were like, Oh, Auburn's on the skids. They played Kansas and blew them out. Then they played North Carolina, blew them out. Then they beat Kentucky in overtime, went to the Final Four. Sometimes it's just one game, you know? Yeah. If that one game is South Dakota State and they shoot well and Providence isn't feeling it from the outside, which is their biggest weakness, yeah, upset alert. Yeah. And Providence, you know, they're they're not particularly deep. Like, Croswell's been good off the bench. Obviously, Bynum comes off the bench, but he plays starter minutes for the most part. Um, key to that team is A.J. Reeves. If he's coming off of the bench and he's hitting his threes, then they're instantly so much more, you know, multidimensional. They can they can do so much more off the dribble and kick and, kick and shoot. And There's so many different things. But if Reeves is going to show up and hit one of one of seven from three, then anybody in this bracket can beat him. And, that, and that's it's, the it's thing. A tough, it's a tough matchup for them stra- strategy-wise. But I will say this for Providence and any team that's in a 5-12 or 4-13, you're going to hear this all week. Like, you're going to yeah. hear, huh, you're the one that's going down. Use that as motivation. Because yeah. like because what will happen is they'll, they'll say, you know what, everyone thinks we're going to lose. And that's where I think Providence is at its best because this is what they've done all year. They like being counted out. They so, like being the underdog, like to mm-hmm. the point that it almost – when they became the top guy, it's almost like they lost a little bit of their luster as far as, you know, what they had I going agree. for themselves. Like that, that happens to a lot of teams. Yeah. Um, they're, they're only two and a half. They, they open as a two and a half point favorite, and it's already been bet down to one and a half. So um, Vegas has a respect to Providence all year. Ken Palm 49, uh, South Dakota State 71. But where South Dakota State will, could beat them is the fact that their offense is 12th and their, their tempo is 59. And Providence does not want to go anywhere near a team that's doing a 59 tempo or 59 rate tempo. And it so. keeps you on your toes, though. If you're playing a team that good in the first round and you beat them and beat them soundly, now you feel good going to the next one, which I, I would have to assume would be the winner of Richmond and Iowa. Yeah. And Iowa's tough. Keegan Murray, like you said, his brother Chris is really good, too. It's just the length, the length of Iowa with when, I mean, it's guys that can shoot the three and then. Yeah, Jordan Bohannon and yeah, the, all, the, all the like uh, Fran McCaffrey's 85 kids. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Um, that That's a tough matchup for Providence in the second round. Like I, I was saying earlier, because, um, you know, JT here is on the on the um, runs pretty much runs this this entire podcast stream. He's uh, he's a big Providence guy. Season ticket holder with Ryan Gray, who's also all over the place here. We're in a chat with them and. And I said to them today, you know, 
they might lose out on that four seed and get a five seed. They might have been better off <laughs> because think of it. If they're a five seed and, you know, they got an Illinois in the second round or say Houston bumped up and it was them. Or, you know, if they were in the spot UConn was in, I would honestly like them a lot. They're in a tough draw. Um, though they're going to have to play two high octane offenses in a row if they want to get out of that um, Buffalo little sub region and head out to the Sweet 16. Yeah. And then you guess gotta, what? You got you to gotta do the Big East thing. You got to turn it into a throwback. And yeah. you do that. Like you're built that way. Yeah. So we'll see what happens there. Um, you know, obviously I'm a UConn guy. You know, we've had some bad blood with them this year, but. You know, if they if they had one a little bit of a run, it wouldn't completely break my heart. Um, then below that, you've got LSU and Iowa State. So I'll, I'll kind of let you take the reins here. What are your thoughts on that game as an LSU fan? LSU's offense stunk for most of the season, but they were had one of the best defense. They get a lot of steals. Iowa State is actually kind of in the same boat. Their offense is actually worse than ours. They they played Texas Tech, I think, in the Big 12 tournament. And they could not score. Like, they were awful. So I wonder if it's just going to be kind of like a team where – a game where both teams sort of, like, play really fast, but nobody scores for, like, five or ten minutes at a time. Uh, Isaiah Brockington for I- Iowa State is a really nice player. I got to give T.J. Otzelberger, the coach at Iowa State, a lot of credit. Because that was a really tough situation when he got there. They took a lot of transfers and Tyrese Hunter as a freshman, and they were able to make something of it. LSU fire Will Wade because of the NCAA violations that are about to come down on him, which will likely cause a show cause. So they were like, they basically cut their losses. So we got an interim head coach. They did this before where Wade got suspended and they went to the Sweet 16 with the interim. I don't think LSU is nearly as good as that one. So. Um, I, I'm hoping that LSU is the six holds, but I wouldn't be shocked if Iowa State was the favorite going in on, on, with Vegas. It's not a bad little draw, though, at the bottom there. Like, I'd much rather be in their spot as a six than Wisconsin's had spot. stinkers. Like, they, they lost have Nebraska. You know, Providence beat them pretty easily in Madison. So, yeah. Like that, you got to Like, you're not always sure with Johnny Davis. Now, they did beat Purdue both times, but. It, it all comes back to Davis. Like if he is really going and Brad Davison is drawing charges and <laughs> doing all that Wisconsin yeah. stuff, like, yeah, they're effective. But I feel like I feel like with Wisconsin, they're all, their problem has always been like their ceiling is not very high. Wisconsin and Providence are pretty similar, um, in my opinion. Um, they, they obviously Davis is the best player that either team has, but they kind of win win games. They shouldn't win a lot. Um, they grind games out and they're going to be the toughest team you play in the last two minutes of a close game. Um, they're similar teams. And again, Ken Palm all year has kind of showed that um, 34th Wisconsin, 49th in Providence, which has kind of let both to feel disrespected for the bulk of the year. Um, Providence's calling card all year was, you know, Ken Palm's a fraud or whatever they've been doing. Um, Wisconsin's because they were like tops in the, they were tops in the luck ratio, right? Yeah. Yeah. They're one in luck and Wisconsin's nine. So they're, they're pretty similar in that area. Um, so that's, that's definitely, it's an interesting situation that they're both, they probably, they probably won't see each other, but it's funny. It's fun that they're both in the same actual yeah, region. And I don't see Colgate beating Wisconsin. I just don't see I that. don't. I think that's one of those situations where they might be tight at an eighth and a half and then um, Wisconsin runs away with it in the second yeah, half. Agreed. Um, just because of the health, you know, if Wisconsin's not healthy with Davis, anybody can beat them. Um, and then USC Miami is an interesting game. I am not a big USC fan. I think that that team has been kind of overrated all year. What are your I thoughts on the I think is a good player, but he ain't Evan. 
He's not close to Evan, no. <laughs> um, and there's there's games I've seen them. I mean, they did not even deserve to be in the same conversation as in Arizona. Um, when they played each other, it wasn't even a, a, a matchup um, late in the year. Um, and then Miami is tough. Miami will will score on you. They played five out. They played nearly five out. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, they're gonna. They they had a fun game with Duke the other night. Um, that's a fun little game. Um, the winner of that gets Auburn. Auburn's kind of ripe for the taking right now. But this could be a situation where Jabari Smith just takes over and says, "Hey, we're not losing." Yeah. Or Walker Kessler, who's had yeah. some bad defensive performances in the last couple of days or a couple of games. He he just says, "Okay, I'm gonna like he did to LSU. Okay, I'm getting ten blocks today." So, yeah. and that, I think that was the big key when they got Kessler to uh, who's like, I, I can't remember his height. I want to say he's like seven foot three or seven foot two or something like that. Yeah. His height going with Smith's versatility and, um, and, you know, Alan Flanagan and Devin Cambridge, like that really gave him that X factor of being able to stop people in the front court as long as their guards are making shots. Cause when Casey Johnson and, uh, Wendell Green aren't making shots, they can lose to anyone. That's yeah. the biggest problem for Auburn as a two, and that's why they became a two. And that's why one. the bottom of this bracket is kind of could get some fireworks because Wisconsin is a team that nobody is awed by. Auburn's a team that you know has the talent, but like you were just saying, anybody can beat them on a on a night. Um, and then up top, you've got Iowa and Kansas that are you know high level teams, and and that's and they not, like to play fast. Yeah. yeah, and that's not the discount Providence. It's just a it's a tough setup for Providence to get out of Buffalo. Yeah. The thing that's interesting about Iowa is that what really killed them when Luca Garza was there and they won the Wooden Award is that um athletically they just weren't a match for Oregon, who had Chris Duarte. And they just like they just I don't know if you remember that game, they just ran past them in the second yeah. round. This time it's different because even though Keegan Murray was on last year's team, now he's the premier guy. He can run like a deer now, and he can do all those things athletically. So can they hang with Kansas in a game if it wound up being that way uh, in the Sweet 16? For sure. Like Iowa and Providence is, to me, the match The matchup I would like to see to jump on that because it's such a it's such a clash of styles. I just would like to see what would happen if it, we got that. Yeah, that would definitely be interesting. Those, those are the type of teams that, you know, Providence did struggle a little bit with this year, but they, they did find a way at times. Um, but you know, Iowa, Kansas, Providence, you know, that's probably going to be one of those three coming out of there. Who do you have exiting this bracket? Oh, JT. Okay. The Providence (laughs) Friars are going to the final four. Okay. Okay. I I got, I I think Auburn's going to flame out somewhere with Wisconsin catching them on a bad day. And then Providence, Providence gets Wisconsin or beats Auburn. I don't see Kansas getting out of here. I just there's something about Kansas I don't trust either. Like, and I'm not trying to poo-poo on the entire Big 12. I feel like I'm at waiting for the Big 12 to get eliminated everywhere. But it just there's just they every team has like an Achilles heel. And like the one thing for Kansas is that you know with Abaji he's a good player. Christian Brown's a good player. Dave McCormick if he doesn't really have like a great day they're in a lot of trouble you know and and Jalen Wilson can only make so many plays so I yeah. I, just, I just have some issues with with Kansas uh in general I, I mean and if you look at their they're, they they kind of remind me of like uh, uh of Auburn like when you look at their numbers they look amazing but like when you start watching a play you're like are we sure they're that good like that's, yeah. that's my issue with Kansas 
the thing with Providence is, you know, they've got the they've got Buffalo. They'll be well there. Their teams are gonna their fans are gonna travel for them regardless. Um, they've been a, a pretty electric fan base this year. Um, if they get past that bugaboo being out of the first round, I think they'll be okay. Like, yeah, it's just like San Diego, South Dakota State and Iowa. Like that is, uh, you look at it, and it's like if they can escape that, then nothing's gonna be fearful to them, in my opinion. Right. Even if it's a Kansas, at that point, it's like this. That Providence team has thrived off of, like we were saying earlier, they've thrived off being the underdog. They've thrived off being disrespected. Uh, people are going to disrespect them all week this this all week leading into this game, thinking that South Dakota State's going to beat them, and then they're going to be saying, "Oh, if they beat them, then they'll they'll lose to Iowa anyways." And they got some nice traps down there in the Midwest, like you, Creighton. That's a tough matchup for Kansas. They've played before and it's been close. And over the it years. is. And then and LSU. Let's say LSU like has a really good day, um, shooting wise, and they beat Iowa State. LSU is a tough matchup for Wisconsin. It is. So this is the region that I could see getting blown up the most, um, just because the the bottom of that bracket. I'm not excited about any of those teams. And then up top, I'm kind of too excited about some of those. And teams. that's where the chaos starts. Right. Exactly. So if things can that that's the bracket that things could be chaos. And since I'm saying that, it'll probably be chalk and the top four teams will be in the in the Sweet 16. <laughs> right. um, but, you know, I've got Iowa here. I just think that they have all the momentum in the world and and they've they've shown that they can you know outscore you and they've improved their defense to an extent. Um, but they just they have so much depth and the, the amount of, of three point, you know, barrage that they can throw at you i do think that that's going to be a really tough out right now one issue with with uh iowa and it's it's with their coach it's the same problem i have sometimes with uconn with dan hurley where he loses his composure fran mccaffrey blows a stack all the time and if he if it happens in the tournament he might cost him a game and what's different a little bit different and i definitely appreciate that about hurley because you know obviously that nova game which he shouldn't have been tossed from but that's a story for another day Um, (laughs) yeah the uh, what I've noticed with UConn is, you know, when Hurley goes off, our players mostly calm them down and they kind of don't like feed off of it to an extent, like meaning they don't start yelling at refs, too. I was different. If he starts yelling at refs, his kids start yelling at the refs. It dovetails. Uh, yeah. And the whole team starts yelling at refs and it can get it turns to a pretty ugly scene. Um, I Was it them and Rutgers that were almost brawling at the end of the game? I think it was Rutgers. Um, I've watched so much because they've, they've been afternoon <laughs> games. There's so many conference games, tournament games. Yeah, right. Um, but yeah, I mean, that Iowa team, is, it was the game that his kid got tossed from. It was Rutgers, and the Rutgers strength and conditioning coach got a double technical. It was like that whole and, game. And I'm was not trying to say, like, being, like, calmer and being more composed is the way to always win. But there is a trend of, like, I remember when Frank Martin went to the Final Four with South Carolina. I've never seen Frank Martin calmer. Like, yeah. And it's, it's because the same thing we said about Mick Cronin and UCLA. LA, a super intense coach. When you have guys that you know can take care of business, you don't have to dictate everything. And that's yeah. a sign. And I, maybe McCaffrey is just not wired that way. He's just a guy like pound, pound, pound. Like he just all he wants to Bobby Knight it up a little bit. But like, I don't know. It just rubs me the wrong way. And, uh, you know, Hurley's more of a players coach. There's a lot of players coaches out there. Jawan Howard did that with a lot of success last year. And it didn't work well for him this year. So, you know, it can go both ways. It can, it can. Um, and then like we were saying, like, like a, uh, Jay Wright, for instance, he's so calm at all times. Cooley, a little bit of both. Um, that's the big thing with Providence is as great as, as Ed Cooley's been, he's got a 
prove that he can be great in March too. I hate to, I hate to, you know, light the Providence fire more. And, and then you have those CEO types like Mark Few and John Calipari and Mike Shostetsky where yeah. they just are so, they have such a legacy behind them that they, they can take care of it. And even if they lose, they don't sweat it. Yeah. I do think though with Mark Few this year though, Mike, something's changed. I feel like there is like a two year narrative where they, they, they're pissed that they didn't win that one and they want to get it back. Yeah, for sure. So now we head to the final four. So you, we have the same final four. I've got except for the Iowa Providence slot. So Gonzaga UCLA will kind of floor for now. Let's stick on the um, on the right side of this bracket. So t- talk to me how Providence can beat Arizona. Uh, if the game is tight, then Providence, which is where their strength is, would be able to try to pull one out. The problem is the athleticism of Arizona is going to be really, really hard to match. Like that's the that's the biggest issue. And Arizona is also, and I, I mentioned this, but I'm gonna repeat it. Like they're a very physical team. Like they for are. those who think that they're like, oh, Pac-12, they're gonna run and gun and they're gonna try to draw fouls and Pac-12 after dark. No, man, they will pound you. Like they are not, they are not scared. So they just have an endless stream of big bodies that they can throw at you. Right, and athleticism at the wing spot with Matherin and Terry and even Pelle Larson is like their sixth man. He scores like well over 10 points a game. They would, yeah, they would have Nate Watson in foul trouble pretty quick. It would would be hard. I mean, they would have to start dipping into their bench, uh, meaning Providence, but like like in this scenario, if they get that far, but like that, I think it would be a fun game. You know, I like, I just like a team that just knows how to win. And that's, yeah, that's what Providence is. That's what UCLA on the other side is like, those are the ones I think do well with Providence too. I mean, obviously you kind of know what you're going to get at this point from Watson and Bynum. Um, if, if Horker and Manai are hitting their threes, then they're really tough to beat. Um, but Al Durham's the X factor. Um, if he's able to do his thing, get to the line, especially closing a game, that's when they're a real tough out. Yeah. He's had so many injuries with the sports hernia. Um, he's played through it all. He's shown that he's nails. Um, I, you know, in a tournament format, once you start, you know, really getting to the intensity of these games, sometimes these guys can mask those injuries to the point that they can't anymore. So I hope that I, my big thing is, although I am not a Providence guy by any stretch of the imagination, I don't want them to go out without having their full array of talent available to them. So I hope that Durham's able to, you know, kind of show 95% of himself in this tournament. Um, yeah. He didn't. He showed a little bit of it in the um, the who did they beat in that first round? Was it? Uh, oh, um, the second round of the Big East. It was Butler. Oh, it was Butler. He yeah, showed some of it fun. in that game. And the and, but I mean, with him, it's all been about the fourth quarter. And AJ Reeves is the X factor. If that guy's on, that team's so good. Um, if he's not on, they they struggle to score at times. And that's where the lane is. I could see them as a Final Four team. I could see them going home against South Dakota State. I, mm-hmm. Iowa and Arizona is a game that I have there. Um, that Lute would be a Olsen, fun game. Lute Olsen coached in both places, by the way. Yeah, that would be a fun game. Um, I think that Iowa's able to – That nobody's going to match the, the overall length of Arizona, but Iowa can to an extent. Um, that's a game that you're probably playing in the 80s uh, without mm-hmm. issue. Um, even though Arizona's good defensively, it's, it's Iowa can fill it. Um, either way, I've got Arizona in the final on that side, and I'm sure you agree. Yeah, I would say Arizona would win in that scenario if they wound up playing Iowa. It'd be fun. I mean, it's in the Superdome. The Superdome has had a history in the Final Four of having memorable, 
memorable games. Sure, sure. And then on the other side, Gonzaga and UCLA, you get the two West Coast teams that would come play in New Orleans. Um, these guys are battle-tested. This would be you know, their second or third high-profile game. I mean, nothing more, more high-profile. Gonzaga in Las Vegas. This was right before Gonzaga played Duke, like we mentioned. Gonzaga beat the crap out of UCLA early. Yeah. So, I mean, it's one of those things that if, if UCLA gets to this point, they're going to be clicking on all cylinders, obviously. And then a game like this would be strong. It's all about keeping um, Holmgren on the court. Um, sometimes he gets into foul trouble. I know that to me on defense on switches. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So, and, and UCLA is deep enough to do that stuff overall. I mean, once, you know, once Gonzaga really gets going and they start shooting off screens and Nemhard um, is able to control the offense, that team is, is great. I mean, Gonzaga, Arizona feels like a collision course, much like Gonzaga and uh, Baylor did last year. I know it sounds simple and like elementary, like no dub, but, you know, one of the things that hurt Gonzaga against Alabama and Duke is that the team, those teams, those two teams they lost to, they made shots. And yeah. that's that's the thing I'll say about UCLA, even when they lost Arizona in that, because um, they beat Arizona at home earlier that season, like, they just know how to make shots, whether it's getting to the line, getting in mid-range with Jaquez, finding an open three for Campbell. They don't take a lot of threes, but they get a lot of good open ones. And they also have Jules Bernard. So I just – man, I feel like this is almost a similar narrative to, like, Wisconsin when they played in the Final Four. They lost to Kentucky in a tight one. They played again with slightly different rosters, but for Wisconsin, it was basically the same. And Wisconsin got them the next time. So I feel like that could happen again. For sure. And, um, you know, the reason I've been using a lot of Ken Palm today was to kind of get to the final point that I have here as far as like who's going to win this thing. Um, since 2002, when Ken Palm became, you know, something that everybody looked at, no one has won the tournament out of the top 15 in the Ken Palm rating ranking. Um, and then furthermore, to kind of isolate that more, there's only two scenarios where they weren't top 20 in both offense. And One of them defense. was Duke. Yeah. It was Baylor last year when they were 22nd defensively, um, and then UConn in, in um, 14. 14 when they were yep. 39th offensively. Um, so, and then if you want to further break that down, um, one, two, and three have been the winner in. So that's a 20-year sample size, or 19 if you take. 2000 out 2020 out yeah. 19 year sample size only three times has that been outside of the one two and three overall um yukon in 14 yukon in 11 and syracuse in 03 with carmelo when they so were what eight. so what mike is saying is that if you're not in the top 20 in ken palm on offense and defense you're not winning the national championship it's been a super rarity and um i mean in those scenarios it was literally Kemba Walker, Shabazz Napier, and Carmelo Anthony that kind of made the anomaly happen. So um, now so who are there are guys who are our candidates this year? So that's the thing. So if we look at that this year, um, Baylor is nine and 14. They are five overall in Ken Palm. So they definitely qualify. Gonzaga is one and seven and first overall in Ken Palm. So they qualify. Uh, Arizona second in, in Ken Palm, five and 20 offense, defense. And that's really – and then Houston, actually, they're fourth in Ken Palm, 10th in offense, 11th in defense. And UCLA. Uh, UCLA is um, eighth overall, 15 and 12. So those are your five. We've got three of those in the final four. 
and we didn't even talk about it um, ahead of time. Yeah. So um, I think that it is definitely telling. Um, the one that I think would have to reach out closest to 20 at that point would be Arizona just because of the defense. But, I mean, 20 is not a bad defense, so with their length, no, it and doesn't I, really and, matter. And that comes really close is Auburn because Auburn's <laughs> offense kind of went downstairs a little bit. But it, yeah. Fourth, but it's close. Like that, man. Listen, if you watched Auburn, you knew how good they were. Yeah, yeah. It's just like, and everybody's, especially the Providence fans that are listening, are going to be like, "Oh, Ken Palm sucks." But when there's a 19-year sample size, you have to have to talk about it. Um, and you know, when it's when it's everybody in the top 20 except for three guys that had complete superstars running their team, it's a little bit of a different scenario. I mean, that's where you have to start thinking about your Bancaros and your. Um, you know, Oscar, I can't even pronounce his name. Oscar like, and then you got to think of like, you know, all of those, those guys that can really just take a game over. Oh, like can, Ochai Abaji and yeah. Ivy, Ben Mather and Colin Gillespie. Johnny, like, yeah, they're, those are the team. Those are the guys that can be that anomaly. But historically, we're really looking at probably the, the real three ones that I think we were universal on here, which was Gonzaga, UCLA and Arizona. Um, I've got a Gonzaga Arizona final, and I have Arizona winning this thing. What do you have? I have UCLA and Arizona, and I have Arizona winning. So we're on the same page there too, my friend. Arizona it's amazing too, because at this point last year, Arizona had Sean Miller in purgatory until they finally decided to fire him, and then they hired Tommy Lloyd. Tommy Lloyd was also um, the top assistant at Gonzaga when he took the job at Arizona. So if it's Gonzaga in Arizona, that would be fascinating. Oh, they for play sure. Similar. For sure. Um, so, yeah, we're pretty much running through. We've got Arizona as a champion. Everybody go put your house on it. Um, we talked <laughs> through it. And, and of course, we're not going to ever be wrong. Um, you, I'll can't, probably... you, you can't say sen- you can't say consensus without sense. Like, exactly. it makes sense to, like, go chalk, like, sometimes. Like, I sometimes remember, it is. I remember 2008, all the one seeds made it. And especially especially when you look at, like, how Arizona's path to the Elite Eight is laid out, like, I don't see a lot of resistance. Um, and then, you know, even when we get to that Final Four, you know, you're throwing, you know, we have an Iowa and a Providence down there. That's much better than the Gonzaga-UCLA matchup. So they yeah. kind of, they're set up nice to go do their thing. And, you know, like anything, teams that are that good, their biggest opponents themselves. Um, and when it comes to the Final Four, for those who are making their bracket, there's always one. There's always that one outlier, not necessarily a Cinderella like Oral Roberts. Like they might make the Sweet 16, but you're gonna have a UCLA, which I believe was an 11 seed last in that that one. And then before that was, um, uh, I'm trying to remember if there was a, like a real shocker. There really wasn't one in 19, but in 18 it was Loyola Chicago, and in 17 yeah. it was South Carolina. Um, so George Mason. George Mason. <laughs> um. Even UConn, I want to say, was a seven seed when they won the national title. Uh, the one year we won it with the one year Shabazz we won it with Aitken. Kemba, but the year we won it with Kemba, we pro- we ended up becoming a three seed, I think. But there was a stretch in mid February that we could have missed the tournament. Right. Um, so they just there's always that off. one every now and then where you didn't expect it, and an eight, nine, or seven seed makes the makes the final four, and you didn't expect it. There's yeah. like and but but sometimes yeah like you have a little bit of chalk like you'll have like a two and and a one and a one and a and another two like it happens. Sometimes the key to winning your bracket pools and whatnot you got to hit on those first round matchups. You've got to correctly pick the Chattanooga's and to beat Illinois. 
and go with a, your gut. I've always yeah. felt go with your gut. You just don't the where, where people get in trouble when they do their brackets is when they're like, oh, five twelve. I'm gonna put three of them forward. It's not that easy. Um, but most of the time you have these Cinderella runs, you can still win your brackets. People aren't putting George Mason in the final four yeah. very often. The only absolute truths I've ever had in the tournament, uh well, three. Number one, guard plays most important thing of all. Number two, never trust Rick Barnes. And three, Belmont never wins. But that doesn't matter this year because Belmont's not it. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. So so as we wrap up with and we're crowning Arizona, how do you watch the tournament every year? Uh through red eyes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's I, I watch it more on my phone through the uh, March. I will say, you know, Mark, I, I hate Mark Emmert more than life itself, but uh, th- I do enjoy the NCAA app for March Madness. If you get it linked up on your cable provider or your streaming provider, like it's pretty easy to navigate everything and watch all the highlights. And uh, especially now that they're on Turner and CBS, so much easier b- versus the old way, like a decade ago when it was just on CBS. I used to watch it when I was young. We used to turn it on at school. Like they used to oh, turn yeah. on CBS and we would watch it. And it didn't even matter who was in the tournament. They just let us watch it. You know, it's just uh, like we were saying at the beginning to wrap it all up. Like it feels like a net. Like I, I wish that. Thursday was a national holiday. <laughs> like, yes, yes. There were days, and for some workforces, it is. But um, it's a day off for everyone. But it there's like a special feeling. Like you know, I love I love the NBA. I you know I I also do like I've I've loved all the wrestling. Like WrestleMania always was like a favorite day of mine. You know that Sunday when it was on just a Sunday. Um, other kinds of things like the NBA draft. I always loved the NBA draft. My favorite four-day stretch is those four days that the NCAA tournament starts, the first and second rounds. Those are my For favorite. sure, and that's – I'm the same way. I get so excited for those first four days, especially the first two. And then you start looking at the matchups for the second week, and you're like, wow, these are getting even better. Um, and they and it's, a, it's, a great, it, it's a great unifier for the all the degenerates of the world. Like, What's so great about that first Thursday, Friday is – The betting. The <laughs> betting and, like, who's going to be the first one that's going to get knocked out that shouldn't. I will um, never there's forget, always one. I was at, I was at, a, I was at a hotel uh, uh, hanging out with friends. When Abilene Christian beat Texas, I was in shock. Like, legitimate yeah. shock. Yeah. And that's nothing. Nothing will ever be. One of my Providence friends went to um, they were at the game when Virginia lost as the one seed. The UMBC. Yeah. Yeah. And it was like, I mean, I remember texting him as it was going on. He's like, I've never been a part of something like this. And similar to when I was at the Vermont Syracuse game, um, when Vermont had that epic um, upset of of Syracuse. um, It's just like you get. Like I'm a, I'm a diehard UConn fan, but when you're in that live atmosphere, you're rooting for whatever team grabs. Yes, you. the fandom, and also that I mean, there's also the letdown when you lose, but man, that euphoria when your team wins. Like LSU beat Maryland in a really close one a few years ago. It felt look, they didn't go far after that, but it felt so good. And you it's, had and yeah. national titles, like it feels good. It does. It's a it's an emotional roller coaster. You it know, is. Yeah. One game ends and you're like, oh, I need I need a week off. And then they there's like, oh, two days later, you're doing it again. Um, I, I one of my friends is a big Duke fan, fan. And we always talk this time of year about how when we're watching these games, like I'm really not even having fun anymore. Like I, I'm, I'm, I'm like watching this game and I'm so emotionally invested in it. And, you know, it's so much more fun sometimes watching teams that aren't your team because you're just so gripped by it. Um, I mean, last year, UConn laid a stinker in, in um, 
But that's where analytics saves me because I can be a realist. Like, I can look at LSU and say, yeah, I love that team. I wish they do well. But, boy, their offense sucks. And I have the stats to prove it. For sure. (laughs) It's fun. It's a game. It's a nice little number crunching game. Absolutely. So we will wrap you guys up. So go bet. Everybody go bet on Arizona. And we will see you guys. Um, we can see you guys when you see you. Thank you for coming on, Andrew. And I hope wow. you have enjoy the tournament. And hopefully LSU has a little Cinderella run for you. Thank you. All right. Later. Later.